Just a Good Conversation, podcast number one. Jay Seidel is a husband, a father, a writer, an author, and a teacher. Jay was a combat engineer in the U.S. Army during the first Gulf War, serving 11 years. He holds a B.A. at Long Beach State, an M.A. at Cal State Fullerton. He is a professor at Fullerton College, as well as Cal State Fullerton. He's an advisor to the Hornet newspaper and Torch magazine. He launched the first Spanish-language online publication in the California Community Colleges. While doing all of that, Jay somehow found the time to become a publisher and owner of the La Habra Journal in 2012. Jay created and teaches at Fullerton College a course, the, Fo- the Fullerton Drone Lab, In the last couple of months, Jay has just completed his second edition of his book, Drones, Training and Applications Through Digital Imagery. Information about the Fullerton Drone Program can be found at drones.fullertoncall.edu. And with that, my dear friend, Jay Seidel. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) This is awesome. The first one. (laughs) And I get you. Yes. That's it. All right, Jay. March 4th, yes, 1971, <laughs> yep. you get plopped into the world. Yep. Orange County? La Habra. Well, technically, Whittier is where I was born. Presbyterian? Right. Right. Seems like all of us La Habra kids were born in Whittier, <laughs> Whittier Presbyterian. Presbyterian. <laughs> Even though La Habra had a hospital back yes. then. I guess they didn't give birth to kids there. And there was another hospital. Isn't there like a, uh, doesn't Whittier have another hospital that's even closer? Yes. And, uh, but everybody went to, Yeah. But everybody went to... With your Presbyterian. Yeah, every, every, my, both my cousins were born there as well. Go figure. So yeah. how was it growing up as a kid in Orange County, the rough streets of Orange <laughs> County? <laughs> the rough, yes. Well, as you know, Orange County is not the Orange County. The Orange County that we grew up in is not the Orange County that's kind of on television. Yeah. That people have the stigma of the Real Housewives and Laguna Beach and that kind of stuff. So our Orange County was uh, slightly different. It, a lot of people forget that La Habra is Orange County, um, and they just assume it's just East L.A. County. Right. And um, and it kind of blends into that. So, I mean, I guess it's just kind of a, uh, you know, the fact that the city has no freeways and it's got a, that small town kind of flavor when, you know, growing up. So you're in kind of a Southern California suburb Mayberry kind of a thing so that that borders la that yeah la county so our friends could be in whittier yeah la county we were both technically born in la county yeah or or and then some people lived in the unincorporated la county area yeah and uh (laughs) which is no city owns it but it's la county area um but uh yeah and school systems you were in the school system that straddles both la county and orange county yep and um and yeah, so it was just a, it was just kind of a unique experience, and just kind of, you know, we're close enough to the beach, close enough to the mountains, but we're neither mountains nor a beach community. So <laughs> we're neither <laughs> just a yeah, we're just a s- suburb of uh, you know, Greater Los Angeles area. Yes. So now you're the kid that went to school. So you went to what is where elementary school did you go to? I went to a couple. 
So, oh. <laughs> because uh, just yeah. got around as a kid. Well, no, in in the La Habra City School District, right. um, they broke up the grades, so you went um, kindergarten through second grade, and then third grade through fifth grade. Who the hell so thought they, of they that? They jumped around. Yeah, so we went to different different three to five. Schools. That was yeah. And uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a K six or K eight. It was you jumped around. But the thing is, so I went to a grade school. So I never moved. Right? right. So I never moved, but at my home. But I went to a grade school. I went to kindergarten, and then went to second grade. And at that point, I would have gone to third grade there, but they closed the school um, because of low enrollment. So sure. then I moved over to third grade, for, which is just one year, to another elementary school. And then fourth, fifth, and sixth, I went to another elementary school because that was um, where those grades were. And then I went to junior high. And when I went to junior high, when I went to seventh grade, that's when they made it a middle school. So they brought the sixth graders over. <laughs> Jesus. So then it became six, seven, and eight. And so I, I've never moved my house. And prior to going to high school, I went to three different elementary schools. Right. <laughs> I went to one. <laughs> How is that? Most people do. Now, yeah. How is that? I was on the other side of La Habra. I'm on the right. west side. Right. We went to. I went to Jordan Elementary School. Right. Which is which is on the edge of Whittier. Right. Yeah. Right on the edge. Mark went with us now. Pascalski. Right. We went to went through six. We were kindergarten yeah. through six. Yep. And then we went to junior high in Whittier. Yeah. Because Rancho Starbuck, oh, yeah, I think, technically, technically is in Whittier. Right. Or that unincorporated. Yeah. Area. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. The sheriff's parole it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Then you go to Washington, right? Is yeah. Washington Junior High? Yeah, I was on the side where we had kids that technically lived in Brea. Yeah, that went to went to my grade school, and we lived up in that part of part of edge of La Harbor, edge of Brea. Right, because I always found this interesting when we first met. Like there was only a group of like a handful of you that went to La Habra. Right, right. So back then, is they they had you know restricted. You went to you lived you, in this district. You go to this high school. Right. You, you live in this neighborhood. You right. go to this high school. It wasn't. It was an open enrollment kind of a thing, and um, yeah. So there was <laughs> Washington. Since since most of us um, that were in that region, the majority of the kids that were in that region, uh, right up the street from Sonora High School, and um, which is like right across. The, like I drove past it today. The high school <laughs> you go across the street and you're in Brea. So. It's um, so most of the schools were most of the kids were on track to go to that school, but there were five of us at Washington Middle <laughs> five. School. Five, five of us that I remember we took the bus. You know, they take the bus in eighth grade. And you're like, get on the bus, and we're gonna go show you your high school. So we had this full-on bus, and there was only five of us on the bus. Um, and then we went to um, La Habra and uh, La Habra High School, and yeah, so it was me and then four other people. Um, one actually ended up not going. Um, so there was, it only ended up being four of us that actually went to school. And I mean, I knew them. Um, there's two of them that I really, I really knew and continued in high school. Another one I didn't really, you know, our paths right. differentiated, but they weren't like my, my people I hung out with on a regular basis, but we kind of knew each other and we grew up together, but, uh, we kind of made a little cohort. Like we all, you know, with a little hopper crew and we went over to. La Habra, but um, yeah, then we went to La Habra, right? And uh, 
that was just a whole new experience because they didn't know anybody. Yeah, I mean, because that's what I found interesting when I when I first learned. Because you guys all knew everybody, right? Because here here you are making that jump into into high school. You know, it's you made that jump into junior high, and it's like okay, now you got classes every period. Now you're getting jumped into high school, and there's 18 year old kids at the back end. Yeah. You're you're like this scrawny little 14 year old. Okay, that's one thing. At least when I went, I had a crew of guys. We were all going. Right. Then there's these Washington kids, and there's literally you could fit in a sedan. Yeah. And go. Yeah. On. yeah. <laughs> and plus, you probably knew some of the kids from the grade above you. Yes. Because you experienced them at right. at, at junior high, right, and, and at elementary and school, Jordan and that kind of right. stuff. Yeah, you kind of grew up with them a grade ahead of you or two grades ahead of you. But yeah, no, I was stranger in a strange land kind of a thing. I just kind of went there and just kind of tried to figure out what I could do. <laughs> and um, yeah, and what helped with that actually, the transition was, I remember this in my eighth grade year that we had, uh, you know, everybody was, I, I had a lot of friends that played sports and stuff and were active in sports. And I played Little League. Oh, ironically. So <laughs> I played Little League for about nine years in La Habra, but I La Habra had two little leagues at the time. Yes. They yep. had La Habra Little League and they had East La Habra Little League. Mm -hmm. And I had to fake my address so I could play in East La Habra Little League with all the people that I went to school with. <laughs> Otherwise, I was going to go into La Habra Little League where I didn't know anybody. And I would have met you then. Oh, you were? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I, didn't go, I didn't go there. So I went in East La Habra and... It was dumb. <laughs> well, because East La Habra didn't wasn't the sanctioned one, right? Yeah. So, it was so we had gyms, plumbers, well, kids, and stuff. Well, it was like we couldn't use MLB team names, right? Yeah. So we, I played. I was on the Stars. I was on the Broncos. Um, it's just random stuff, but it was cool. You know, we didn't know any better at the time. The Golden Star Galleons, yeah, or whatever, whatever was, company was, would sponsor it, you. Right. It was. It was. They just came up with random team names, but because um, I was on the Red Sox and I yeah, was on the and you had the legit yes. MLB stuff. We didn't have like our Broncos. We were blue and yellow. And I'm surprised you weren't Denver Bronco colors. Think, but I guess they didn't want a copyright infringement or something at the time. But Yeah, because that um, was big in 78. <laughs> Just coming I down know, on you. I know. So, but what, I, what, what helped me with the transition was, um, you know, we, we would talk about it in, in eighth grade. And we were talking and, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm going to play football. And I, I didn't, I wasn't really into football because like, I, I didn't play. So I was like, I'm not going to jump into football. Um, but this fall sport, I... I I grew up in the water. I grew up um, with a pool and swam all the time. Um, and so I was like, oh, I could do, um, you know, what's this water polo? So <laughs> What's this water Yeah, so I'm like, this, this is kind of cool. And a, a buddy of mine was going to Sonora, and he was, like, all about water polo. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'll show you. I'll be La Habra water polo. So, um, so. Now, had you ever seen Water polo? No. I think I might have seen in maybe something. But in I the didn't Olympics? Really, something? Maybe. Maybe, um, maybe a picture. Did you have any idea going in what, what you other than there was a pool? <laughs> and, and you swam around. Um, but I you mean, swim weird, too. Yeah, you swim weird. And you don't really swim because you stand there. <laughs> uh, but it's like soccer. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't really know too much about it. 
but I knew enough about it and I knew like, hey, I'm a strong swimmer, I could do that. Um, so I, I signed up for it and we started practice, uh, you know, in the summer because it was a fall sport. So I started, which was a great thing that helped me because then I, I got to know people um, before I transferred in, you know, before I actually right. started my freshman year. I also took summer school before between eighth grade and freshman year okay. um, at La Habra. So I got to know my summer school, a bunch of eighth graders that were coming in and taking pre-algebra. Right. And so you knew somebody. Yeah. So that's where I met Mark and stuff. So um, so I got to know some people. So it just kind of helped with the transition rather than just going in cold. Right. And That uh, first day and you know nobody. I don't know anything. Yeah. And uh, and then the idea, once you do one sport, then you just keep doing more sports. Right. Because then you don't have to take a PE class. Right. So, hey, buddy, you want to come do this? Then okay. I'll do that, do that, do that, do that. Yeah. So, um, so that helped with it. With a transition through throughout La Habra. Okay. Well, then there you go. That's a yeah. all of a transition into <laughs> high school, just being thrown into the fire. Yeah. So I tried to do some during the research. Yeah. I was trying to figure out find the exact date in which I think you and I met. It was a football game. It was a football game. It was a Friday night. It was a Friday <laughs> night, and it was a playoff varsity game. Okay. Yeah. So sophomore year. So that was my thing. I couldn't remember if it was our freshman or sophomore year. It was sophomore year. Okay. Freshman year, I kind of just wandered around. Okay, and, so uh, yeah. how do you think – did you used to go to football games? Periodically, because um, it was the thing to do, Friday Night Lights right. kind of a thing. Um, yeah, um, just out of school spirit, you know, and here's the thing. I, I don't think I went my freshman year um, – to games, to varsity games, I may have. I don't rem- really remember. Right. Um, but then I was like, my head was in the pool, and I was all about water polo, too. Um, but what happened is being part of water polo, um, then you're part of athletics, and then you support the right. teams and those kind of things. So um, through the water polo guys, I started kind of paying attention to football, and then I started going to the football games, so- at least sophomore year at right. least. And then, um, and then, yeah, that's playoff is when we, we, we met. Yes, because we met in the most like <laughs> odd, like all Random I re- all I remember is a lot of confetti, mm-hmm. and somehow I ended up on your shoulders storming the field. Yep, yep. Like I don't even know if we were introduced. It was no, I, it was more <laughs> like I'm gonna climb on your back like a racehorse, and I'm gonna pound on your head, and we're gonna run onto the field. Like I don't even know. I was like, "Hello, my name's Matt." Do you yeah. mind if I jump on your back? I think we exactly <laughs> gonna buy me dinner first. Yeah, I mean there was none of that. It was straight, you know, some kind of sleeper hole in my just right. Get on, go, monkey, go. Well, I think, I, I, I think you know our groups kind of meshed up with athletics, and I think that's when, um, you know, sophomore football players and we kind of got connected. I knew Jason Klieger from the Washington right transfer in. Um, so I think that's how the, the, the pockets kind of moved. And I think, um, you know, this was early in the fall. Right. It, I, as I looked, it's November. It's like, okay. so yeah. it's yeah. right before Thanksgiving. Right. And this is my, you know, second year of water polo. I already gone through the whole thing. I was on the swim team in freshman year. So I, you know, I'm feeling comfortable. You know, sure. freshman year I was all awkward. Sophomore year I'm feeling comfortable. And now I know these guys. Now I got friends. That's where my neighbors at this point, Mark McGraw, those kind of that that 
you know, I kind of right. grew up with, he, though he went to private elementary, not Washington. Um, that, so, like I said, I think our, our, our groups crossed over. Right. And I think we just went in one group. But then, yeah, then I just remember just being putting you on the shoulder. <laughs> I'm, hey, big guy, put me on the shoulders. <laughs> and then um, carrying you down on the field. Yeah. But and, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's odd, but that's how a friendship started. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, you can't write that kind of stuff. No, I, I, like I said, I can't, like you, I can't remember our actual first interactions aside from you being on my shoulders. Right. <laughs> And people pay good money to have that happen to them, but somehow, exactly. like I, I remember, remember my wife, then girlfriend, asking me, like, "So how did you and Jay meet?" I'm like, "There was confetti and a lot of yelling and screaming and storming the field, like and cheering, like 15 year old boys would, like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. it." She's like, "Wait," I'm like, "Yeah, there was no handshake no. or good to know you." No, and then it became basically <laughs> Ferris Bueller for the next three years, like. Yeah. We were inseparable. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What would have happened if had we not gone to that game? I know. If one of us were sick or something. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I was telling Ant that it's like, Jay might not have met his wife. Like, if you think of the oh the, the, the domino ripple, effect, ripple. Yeah, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> then it would have been very weird how one moment, like, I'm going to get on your back, and it's a lifetime friendship. Right. Had you got on Jamie Hutcherson's back or something, right, you know, right. and it would have never have happened. It's, yeah. just, it's just a weird thing. <laughs> you just had to get on some guy's back at that moment. Yeah. So. <laughs> I just saw that beautiful head of hair and said, I need to my, hold. My, my high top fade. Yeah, I need to hold on to that while he runs onto the field. <laughs> I got to see if I can sit on that flat top. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, like, I don't remember anything after that. Like, there wasn't a, hey, thanks, that was fun. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it no, was just like, hey, let's go out again. It was something like, okay, I'll see you on Monday. Yeah, that's kind of, I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then somehow I allowed you to stuff me in the trunk of your car for the rest Multiple of Multiple times when we go to lunch. Sophomore year. Yeah. 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 That was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was to pack my, pack my car full of kids and go to, go to McDonald's or go to 7-Eleven or um, go out to lunch. And everybody would sit in the car because I, I had a car. And um, right, that that's you were the smallest, so you got in the on the hatchback. Right, and that was honestly my my the Ferris Bueller kind of comparison. Like I didn't have a car, and you did. Yeah, yeah. So you were Cameron with a car. Right, and even though he's gonna keep calling right, me. Right, even though yeah, <laughs> even though you had an orange car, <laughs> orange Chevy Vega yeah. hatchback. Yep, yeah. it was better than my bike. 1976 <laughs> orange Chevy Vega. Yeah, um, so it was easy for my mom to hear about all my exploits and where <laughs> I went because the car was so identifiable. People were like, hey, Jan, I saw your, I, I think that was Jay driving. Had, Jan, there was a car only, full of kids. Yeah, there, Jan, there's only one orange car right, in La, in La Habra. Habra. Yeah, one hatchback. <laughs> and, um, and I think there was some guy in the trunk. Yeah. It's so. a shame they stopped making that car. It was, it was such a damn you know, good car. Yeah, well, you would think, but I, I, you know, I think I was watching a History Channel thing and they were talking about the Pinto and then the Vega and the Vega was Chevy's Pinto and um they were talking, oh no it was way better yeah well it was <laughs> it was a lot better and um but they were talking about like yeah they were cheap and they were they didn't hold up an accent so I'm like oh my god you know now as a parent as an older guy I'm like oh my god I put all their lives at risk but at the time it was like yeah get in well I was put something on top I was in that car during an accident when that woman hit us <laughs> yes you were yeah I mean and <laughs> Of, it's durable. It, it, it's durable. It is. 
So our friendship continues through high school. Yep. Okay, so, uh, and to, to transition this, I remember this because every year on Christmas, when we break out the uh, Santa and the pit bulls oh. and put it on the roof. Yeah. So I'm in the garage. It's, it's uh, December of 89. We've graduated. Yep. I'm in, the, I'm in the garage with Jamie Hutcherson. We're making these things. We've stenciled out what's supposed to look like Santa and reindeer, but somehow they got squashed and looked like pit bulls. And pit bulls were all the rage back then. Steroided out. And steroided out ghetto reindeer. pit bulls, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you walk up and say, Guess what, guys? <laughs> Join in the army. Yeah. Oh, this is a kid who spent all his time in the water and you decided you wanted to wear boots and go. <laughs> so, yeah. So the funny. Because that. It that, surprised a lot of people. Well, it surprised a lot of people. And I think that was my best acting ever that I was like, oh, okay. As it was breaking my heart inside, like, what? Where are you going? What, why are you going to do that to us? Why are you picking up the band? Yeah, come on, Cameron. You can't just take your car and leave. And yeah. you didn't even have the Vega at that time. I think no. that was the Scirocco. No, I think at that time I had the, the truck. I oh, did you SN. move the Scirocco to the truck? Yeah, yeah, I had the SN truck. Because that was after the first semester of college. Right. Yeah. You uh, and, and of all the people I've ever known, no one's had as many cars as, I, as you've ever had. Yeah, I, I've never I, driven. I've counting. Yeah. I've never driven in as many cars as I, you've owned. I still count. Yeah, I had a lot of cars. <laughs> Uh, and it's not like Jay Leno kind of cars. I just trash one, so I got to go now. Well, the Vega. So I remember the the Vega. My first car was totaled because a, a motorcycle rear-ended me, and the cost of repairing the vehicle um, was more. I could drive it; everything was fine, but the repairs was cost more than the car was worth. So insurance just said, "No, it's totaled out." But I'm like, I'm still driving it. Everything's fine. You just put a bumper on it and. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's what segue to the Scirocco, but, um, but yeah, so I, the army, um, funny story about that is, um, so I, you know, you probably didn't really know this cause I didn't really delve too deeply in, in high school. I didn't fixate on it like I did in elementary. Um, but from third grade to probably about sophomore, junior year, um, early junior year is when I kind of tried is I, I, I wanted to go, I wanted to be a pilot and I was so fixated on flying. I remember you talking about, yeah, but, but I mean, but when we're in high school, more, like, everybody's talking about something. Yeah. I want to do this. I want to do this. So, but I was really that from third grade on, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be, I wanted to go to the air force Academy and I wanted to be a, a pilot in the military. And then I wanted to be a commercial pilot and that's what I wanted to do. And so that's why I was, you know, in classes where I was like trying to go to honors classes and trying to do all that academic stuff so I could get to the academy. Right. And so, um, and I was in sports and I was trying to do all this stuff, but I, I, I applied. And at the time, you, I mean, like most academies still, you have to get congressional nomination. Right. But they were limited to how many people they could do it. Now it's a little bit more broad. Yes. You can have more. It's a little bit more open. Um, but at the time, it was limited to like two per state or something like that, some ridiculous number. So I applied. And uh, and again, from third grade on, like there were there was no plan B. Like this was 
this would have, what I was going to do. Um, <laughs> because in third grade, why would there be any plan B? Right, right, exactly. And this is where really cool. I'm Jay Seidel. You're going to take me. Right. And this is what's going to happen because I'm just going to do that and that's what I want to do. So therefore, it's going to do it, you know. And that's because, you know, America, land of opportunity. I'm going to do this. this is what I'm going to do. And um, yeah. And then I, I, um, I, didn't, I didn't get accepted. And so, um, which was devastating, but not, um, it, you know, and what, what the, the, the crappy thing was, was because the, the rejection was because I did not necessarily, I think it was because I didn't show enough leadership potential. So, uh, meaning that, yes, I was in honors classes. Yes, I was um, in, I played sports every season, um, but I wasn't in ASB student government and I wasn't in a club I wasn't president of like the Spanish club or something like that right. so I'm like oh, and I wasn't doing community service hours so these other freaking people were doing all that and I was like okay fine I, I, I you know you're a jerk but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, complain about it but but I don't have a plan B right so right. now that now I'm kind of like oh well crap I don't know what I want to do um, so I just kind of finished up senior year and then I went to because um, I had the grades and stuff, I went to Cal State Fullerton, and I had money. I got a scholarships and stuff, and I went to Cal State Fullerton. Mm -hmm. um, but because I was able to do so well in high school, I thought, oh, school was pretty fine. In college, uh, the fact that they didn't have bells <laughs> and that they didn't actually take roll really, really appealed to me. So, uh, you know, going watching days of our lives and stuff right um planning your schedule around it so you can watch days well of our every lives. monday we went to the yep. movies right yeah just bail out and go i have yeah. never seen more movies with one single person <laughs> in my life i mean we would go to the movies all the time it was open yeah right. we had that had that had that schedule and i was like i'm not gonna go to class um, I mean, I remember I was devastated when you took a Monday class. Yeah, because it messed up our schedule. Yeah, we yeah. couldn't watch My Night Football and then go to yeah. the movies. Yeah. You had some class that didn't Monday end until, night, it yeah. was an English, so English like, who class. Who the hell takes a Monday night class? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't watch Monday Night Football. I know that was so weird. But, um, but yeah, I, um, I, I blew school. I got an academic probation. Right. I got Fs and stuff. So then I lost the money for school. Um, I didn't have a plan B. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I lost money for college. Um, I now was on academic probation. So now I'm like, crap. And I then that meant something. Yeah. Now they rehabilitate you. Right. Like, oh, we'll help you. At that time, they're like, oh, sucks to be you. Good luck next right. semester. You got 24 hours. Right. Let's, <laughs> let's see if you can pick it up next time. And so I tell students that all the time now. It's like, man, you, you know, if you can rehabilitate. Back then, they just said, sucks no they kicked you off the you know, yeah you just deal with it and, you know yeah. you just there is there is no you know prize we don't it. need you yeah exactly if, if you can't make it you can't make it whatever <laughs> sink or swim um but i um and and in high school i went to all the recruiters and stuff and you know because i was already like oh yeah air force air force but once i got the rejection letter i was like screw air force <laughs> and um, your wings right i was in the civil air patrol too and uh <laughs> of course you were yeah and i was in boy scouts all for, yeah, you were. Yep. for most of my life. And then I transferred from Boy Scouts. I went to Civil Air Patrol. Again, another thing, like if I do this, then they're gonna, the academy is going to accept me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I didn't do that. And I remember, I, I remember this. I was in Target parking lot Christmas shopping. And I was walking <laughs> out and I had my La Habra wrestling sweatshirt on. 
And I was walking out or whatever, walking across the parking lot, and, and I hear this, hey, man, how'd the, how the team do this year? I'm like, oh. And, it, and I look over, and it's a recruiter. I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Well, because I know the what dance, it is, right? right? You know, know the dance. This is the deal. Yeah. Okay. What are you going to try to sell me on? So, so I go over, and um, you know, I'm like, well, I don't play anymore. I graduated, you know, and uh, but I played all, you know, wrestled all in high school and stuff. And uh, then he starts talking, and that was just his entry point. Sure. You know? So. We start talking, and I tell him. I, I was pretty honest with the recruiters that I talked to. I'm like, you know, I liked the military. I wanted, to, I was all into it, blah, blah, blah. And then I didn't get in, and, you know, here it is. And, he, and I remember I remember distinctly, I remember the question, because he asked me, he said, so what, he's like, well, you sound like you're, you're into it, but what's keeping you from joining the military? I'm like, you know what? Because, again, because of our relationship, mm-hmm. somewhat, uh, you know, I had a new perspective on things. And I was like, uh, you know, I don't think I want to do four years. And he's like, well, because <laughs> it was an army recruiter. Right. And um, he's like, well, you know, if you qualify, um, <laughs> the army offers two-year enlistments. I'm like, and, and I was like, two-year enlistments and money for college? He's like, yes. I'm like, huh. All right. That, I think I could do two years and get money for school. That's like a junior college stint. I could do that. <laughs> Um, and you know that's what I was. That's kind of my mindset at the time. I'm like, okay. they give you a gun and boots, it's just like junior college. Yeah, and 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 I'm like, what do you have to do to qualify? He's like, well, you know, if you test in, you have the qualification. I'm like, yeah, I, I got that. So, um, so he's like, yeah, come by my office. So I went to the office, which is not far from my house where it used to be. Um, and uh, so I went in and talked to him, and. Um, that figured I think I'm going to do this. And I kind of what I told you guys is right. kind of how I told my mom too, and kind of <laughs> like, guess what? I'm going to do. I'm going to join the army. <clears throat> and my mom's like, what about the air force? I'm like, no, screw the air force. <laughs> and because uh, I was I was angry, right? And uh, <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm going to do I'm going to do the army. I'll show they, them. They can do two years. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So because I, I I just figured two years and money for school because I had no plan. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Sure. So I thought I'll go there and be all I can be, you know, do that. And you had, of course, no idea this guy in the Middle East was going to attack this very small country called Kuwait. Right. Yes. And in, of what, August of 1990. Yes. So you're barely in. Right. Yeah. Because my first <laughs> my first day of basic training was my 19th birthday. And uh, like the f- day one of basic training was my 19th birthday. And um, by the way, so I signed up when that's another real quick funny story <laughs> is so when I signed up, I was like, you know, I, I got focused. I'm looking at all the jobs and stuff. I'm like, you know, there's a military police. I'm like, I can be a cop. OK. Yeah. And I remember that discussion. Yeah, like, like that you, was you my had plan. three choices, right? Or something well, like they that. They had plate choices of where yeah. you can go and they and. Where, where you want to be stationed, which I got none of those. Right, you wanted Hawaii. Hawaii, yeah. <laughs> Nobody picks yeah, that. Right, yeah, sure, exactly, right. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. totally open. Yeah. Tell us what you want. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to go to Arkansas. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I, I remember I was like, I'm going to be an MP. I'm going to be a uh, uh, military police. I got 95 Bravo. I got the thing. So when I went to the place where you, you do your physical and you pick your job, it's MEPS. And I went there. It's down in right, right by LAX. And... I 
the guy comes in and says, okay, what job do you want? What do you want to, what do you want to be? And I'm like, oh, 95 Bravo. I want to be a military police. And he looks and he's like, oh, you can't do it with your two-year enlistment. I'm like, oh, well, crap. You're not talking. That, that's, that's the deal breaker right there. Um, I said, well, I, I, you're not talking me out of the two-year enlistment. So what else, what else do I qualify for? So he pulls out the list of things that they printed out, what I qualify oh, for. And he starts going down the list. He says, air traffic controller. And I say, oh, I like aviation. That sounds good. I think they have good jobs. You know, Reagan just had the thing with the air traffic controllers. At the time. I'm like, you know what? Let, I'll, I'll pick that. And I distinctly remember this. He, he basically talked me out of it. Like, he kind of like, well, a lot of paperwork on my end, but you don't want to do it. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> He's I'm like, what else, is on, what else is on the list? And he went down, and then he said, combat engineer. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a cool video that I saw the recruiter's office. I think that's kind of, no research <laughs> on what it is. I'm like, and engineers make a lot of money on the outside world. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, I'm combat engineer. He's like, okay. <laughs> then sign me up. You got one. So like exactly, exactly, because it's just a it's just a version of infantry. So um, infantry with explosives, basically. So I was like, yeah, I'll 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 do that. And uh, so they sign me up. Um, and yeah, so then I go to my basic training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and then I, I come back, and then I my my station because because I didn't have a long enlistment. Um, active duty enlistment, so they put me stateside, um, and they sent me to uh, Fort Bragg, um, <laughs> North Carolina, and uh, home of the Airborne, and that's where they said when a buddy of mine from basic and I went there, we were, we were the two that from our basic class, I went there, and we were both going to two different units, and then we go to our reception station, and they said, uh, uh, where they said, here's the thing, and they said, oh, combat engineer. Uh, I said, yeah, we're combat engineers. They said, uh, you, there's two kinds of combat engineers that come to Fort Bragg. And we're like, oh, really? What are the two? And they said, those that go airborne and those that go somewhere else. And it's like, oh, man. Um, where, and I said, well, where's somewhere else? They said, Korea. I'm like, I'm not going to Korea. <laughs> so, so, uh, so they sent us to the airborne units and stuff. And then after I got to my unit... I was just at my unit a um, couple months, and because I was with an airborne unit at a Fort Bragg, we were on the alert. You know, we were the first to mobilize. Then by October of 90, we were in Dahran, Saudi Arabia. So good times. Good yeah. times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you couldn't have picked a better time. Yeah, Hello. when I well, when I I think I told you this, right. and I told my mom this. When I signned up for the army, I was like, okay, the wall's coming down. Yeah, no, Panama had just happened. We're all good. Every you know, Panama no, was a weekend skirmish yeah, too. There was no, there's no war. You know, right. I just go into do two years and I'll be out. Russians are our buddies. Right. Everybody loves there's, us. There's no no more. East Germany right. or anything like that. So we're all good. We're all good. We got a new president. Right. He's former CIA ambassador to China. Yep. VP. For, we're, we're all good. we're all good. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, who knew about the Middle East? So <laughs> who was paying attention? So <laughs> whoopsies. Yeah. So yeah. Then I went to Saudi Arabia and right. sat so, there for Desert Shield. Right. So I just remember going, "Holy Christ, 
What? Bye. I, I lost him, and now I'm going to lose him. <laughs> right. Right. You yeah. idiot. Yeah, I'm just thinking. <laughs> and, of course, there was no golf war movies yet for anything. It was like Three Kings or Jar. So, Not even that. Right, yeah. nothing. So the only things that were coming out was of, Vietnam and Vietnam. then Born on the 4th so, of July. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, oh, you know, it's going to be, you know, uh, Stanley Kubrick's, you know, version, Full metal jacket. Of, yeah, version of Jay in the Middle East with some guy screaming at him at basic training. Heartbreak rage. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then you're going to be singing Disney songs going through, you know, Saudi yeah. Arabia. Yep. Yeah, 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 kind of. We sang the Eagles, but, um, (laughs) but yeah. So we went, yeah, to Saudi Arabia, and I was over there. About, I mean, compared, you know, here's the thing. That was the first, after Vietnam, first like real, right? It was a war, war. and uh, so we didn't know what to expect. We had all these visions of Vietnam, but then we went in there, and it it happened very quickly, Um, and we came back. But you know, the the I run into the veterans now especially students and stuff that come in and you know they were in they did two tours in afghanistan or they did you know a a tour in iraq and then two tours in afghanistan and it's like man i had nothing compared to what you guys did right so i don't even try to enter that i was in the military but i you know i don't talk about combat stories with them because that's a whole different kind of combat right um that's more they were in like more world war ii vietnam level stuff ours was pretty quick um, but it was, it was still intense. We, we got into, you know, some skirmishes and situations, um, where we had, we were in combat, but, um, we went from Saudi Arabia straight into Iraq, um, and ended up in Basra and we, uh, we had the largest cool thing. We had the largest demolition. My unit had the largest demolition mission since world war two, um, to blow up a Iraqi munitions bunker. And uh, that was that was stupid and fun. Well, it's stupid because, well, the ironic thing. So we go in there and, and there's all these sub, subterranean mounds, right? Right. Like where all these ammunitions are. And we have to go in and we have to put our explosives down. And we're putting like, if I, okay, so if I put this block of C4 buy this motor around it'll blow up and you'll shoot this motor around no you know no it's all gonna blow right <laughs> but um but the funny thing was we went in there and we we're like wait a minute we can read all these boxes it was kind of like um iron man yeah <laughs> when you go in there and all of a sudden tony stark realizes oh we're selling all this all these weapons to these bad guys we went in there and it's like it's all u.s bought <laughs> equipment so basically, we were just repossessing it. We were just saying, okay, you know, Saddam Hussein, we're just going to blow this stuff. I know we, we sold this to you, but we're just going to repo it we're back. We're going to take this back. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, he was our buddy when he was fighting the Iranians. Exactly. Exactly. But now we're, re- we're going to recall this chunk. Right. And uh, yeah, so we, we blew that up. And actually, that was my birth, my 20th birthday. I, I remember sitting there looking at birthday cards that I got in the mail. And uh, while wow, we were blowing stuff up in southern Iraq. And uh, yeah. My twenty-first birthday, we were—I was at North Carolina. I was in the in the field in the rain. Um, so yeah, memorable moments of memorable birthdays in the moments. in the army. Yeah. So the boys and I, the two youngest, were watching uh, Private Ryan, oh, and yeah. so they had known you were in the army. But mm. I was trying to explain to them what when you say you know combat engineer engineer, yeah. they're they're thinking like well, what what does that mean? Yeah. So yeah. there's the opening scene. There's a combat engineer and. Tom Hanks's character is like 
hiding behind this thing. And the combat engineer, who's a lower rank, mm-hmm. is telling him, sir, you need to leave. I am blowing this up. <laughs> and I said yeah. to them, that's Jay. Yeah. That's Jay. Like, yeah. at that moment, he's in charge of the situation because yeah. he's got to blow this crap up yeah. and move it through because there's tanks coming behind him. Yeah. And they were like, oh, that's badass. Yeah. We had a... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was cool. It was a cool video. But <laughs> like I said, that's what well, si- now they think that's what signed me up. Somehow they think you're in Normandy yeah, taking D-Day. Yeah. So my kids really now have yeah. put you up a couple of notches. Yeah, we had, <laughs> we had uh, my street creds up. Yeah, but we had totally. A, we had a situation. Um, I mean, a lot of situations in Iraq when we were out there, um, the, uh, the units um, would – because we were in the desert. Right. And we had we were in trucks with wheels and you know, we couldn't slug through the desert and we were attached to help out armor units and the armor units would like, Okay, bye. And so they would go and they would run into situations where it would be minefields or the the bombs from the F fifteens that dropped, the scatter bombs, cluster bombs that came down and they didn't blow up. So they would run into things like, Oh, we're not driving our tanks through that. So then we would come in and we would clear it clear out the all the exploded ordnance and the the cities that you know so they could clear through so we had to blow stuff up all the time over there which was cool right um for you know a 19 20 year old kid to blow stuff up um and learn how to do that but um yeah so so that was i mean we did we just kind of said you know get out of the way we got to blow you know we got to set this up and we got to blow this charge up there and we got to set the c4 out there and we got to find out and uh, so I was around a lot of explosives and stuff right, as, so, a, as a 19-year-old. <laughs> and so us communicating during that time, when you get back yeah. and your your time is up, I remember you telling me, like, I, I think I'm going to get into journalism. Or I'm doing journalism. Like, I never understood. How did you go from blowing things up in the middle of the desert to, like, I'm going to write yeah, and stories take and stuff. pictures? So so when, we, when I got back— right, um, and, so when yeah. you come back, the war's done. Yeah, when I come the back. The weekend and skirmish then, or whatever they wanted. You and know. I, I got out of active duty in 92. Right. Um, and I, I did a lot while I was in the Army. And they kept trying to extend me, but I was well, like, no. Of course. And right? I was they, like, no, I'm going to. I actually. You want a, another two? I've been you want another two? Yeah, I did a half-ass attempt because um, they have something in there called the FAST test, Flight Aptitude Skills Test. And so I. I signed up to take this test, and basically, if I would have passed it, I would have gone to flight school. I would have been a helicopter pilot. I was going to go to flight school, and I would have went to Fort Rucker, Alabama, and gone through flight training, and then gone to fly helicopters. Because, again, going back to my aviation mindset, I'm like, you know what? I'm getting towards the end of my term. I really want to go back and go to college and go back home and see my friends and my family and stuff. And so I come back, or, but if I if if I don't take this test, then I'll always have that regret. Sure. So I signed up to take the test. I was doing and trying to do some correspondence courses and stuff too. So I, I signed up to take the test, but I instead half-assed because I didn't really study. I got the book, but I was like, I flipped through it, you know, kind of read it a little bit, but I really didn't dive too deeply into it because at that point. I was just going to let fate decide. Right. You Your know? heart wasn't really yeah, into it, maybe? Yeah, because my heart was more inclined to going home because I'm like, man, if I do that, that's four more years, and then who knows where I'll go. Yeah, I think at that point you really have to be committed. Like, yeah, I'm going to do this time. Right. And I, like I said, I kind of left it open to like, if, if I pass, then that's the sign for me to go. 
Um, but if I don't, I'm going home. And I remember I took the test and I was the only non-aviation person taking the test because the other guys were like crew chief, there was a mechanic. So these guys all had been around right. helicopters three, four years and studied them. And you're showing and, up and with it, a demo patch. Here I am. I'm like, okay. You know. <laughs> so yeah. So needless to say, I didn't pass, but I wasn't heartbroken. So I was like, okay, but I guess I'm going home, you know? And so, yeah, so I came, I came back. Sorry about that. I came back and, um, uh, I, I moved, I moved into the national guard. Cause I was like one week in a month, two weeks out of the year, I could do that. And now, I get money. Now, was that part of the two years you got to do four or so they tech, when you sign up, you technically got to do eight. I think you still have to do eight. Okay. So you do two, you do active duty. A lot of people normally sign up for four years. So you sign up for four years and then you have another four years. It's called inactive ready reserve. So, they could call you up. They, we ran into ready reserve guys that were called up to go to uh, go to Desert Storm, and they were like, "Dude, I was sitting on my couch, and now they call me up, and I'm driving a truck." Yeah. And um, so I thought, well, if I'm going to be on the ready reserve list, I might as well get be getting paid for it um, and stay in it, and I could do this one week in a month, two weeks out of the year. Sure. So I, I did. Um, I went into the National Guard, and. And you know that that's when I came back to school, and uh, my parents, <laughs> my parents had moved to Oregon. <laughs> um, hey, your stuff's in storage. You can come up with us or stay in Southern California. I'm like, I'm staying in Southern California. That's when I moved in with right, you. Yeah. And um, and yeah. So uh, at that point, maybe maybe you don't know this. I don't I don't know, but I share this with my students a, a lot. And. You were getting into photography, and I'm like, I like photography. You know, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was, I was going to school. And I was changing my major every week. You know, because I was like, oh, I should do this. I want to do this. Should I be a lawyer? Because I got to be successful. But you said something that it's funny. At the time, it, it felt like it was so profound. Maybe it's just at that time I needed to hear it. But now I look back and it's like like a no brainer. Like, duh. Because um, you told me, because I was asking. We were talking about life and careers and what we want to do. Right. And you said because you wanted to get in photography. And you said, I don't care. I really don't care what I do. I just don't want to dread going to work. And I was like, wow, that's so deep. You know, again, you look back now, right. it's like, no brainer. That's common Duh. sense. Why didn't my counselor in high school tell you that, right? Like You would think, yeah, geez. but I didn't, I didn't hear it from right. those guys, but I heard it from you. And I was like, oh, yeah. Well, what, what do I like? I like sports, but I'm not going to play. I'm not going to coach. I don't want to sell tickets. I don't want to do lawn maintenance and field maintenance for it <laughs> and facilities management. So what, I'm not what else? Chalk lines. Yeah, exactly. I don't see myself. I think in that major league, you know, right. who are these guys? I, um, so what, Oh, this communications, media relations. What is that? And I started looking into it and funny. I, I don't know if you know this. So, I, I was exploring and I did an informational interview just to do some research mm -hmm. and the informational interview, you know, you go out and try to find out cause I'm, it's a reverse interview. You know, you try to find out is what did, what do you do this job? What is, I, I said it was for school and, uh, but I interviewed uh, a media relations director at the time named Tim Mead and um, who is with the angels and a great, great person, great human being. And, and he was just telling me all this information about, oh, you need to do this, and this is what it's like, da-da-da, and you, could, you know, get to do this. I'm like, oh, that's what I want to do. Oh, and there's, there's a connection with photography. So I was like, oh, I can hang out with Matt, and I can kind of do kind of what he's doing, but then I can do this other stuff, and this is really cool. 
oh, and then the school has a PR class. I'm going to take that PR class. And then from there, I was already taking pictures with you. Right. Um, I was getting into um, public relations and creating companies like Action Sports <laughs> Photography. Yes. <laughs> yes. And to help you out. <laughs> and, uh, and so we <laughs> that was a whole experience. And um, but then I, then through that, uh, students in the class were part of the newspaper, and then they, I learned about journalism, and I'm like, oh yeah, I could do that. So I got I, I, like the clouds parted, the sun shined down. I'm like, I want to, I want to get into communications. I want to get in the field of communications and media, and this is what I want to do, and 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 I liked it. So that's that's what kind of brought me there. Oh, and then I found out that there was in the National Guard, there was a position of photojournalist job right yeah at uh los alamitos like in the national guard and it was stationed at los alamitos so i'm like and there was a position open because i was working I, I was working security and i was working with a guy who is in public affairs and in at los alamitos and he told me about it and i was like i could do that and so I, literally it's in orange county yeah and i filed the paperwork and reclassified and then I, they sent me to training as a photojournalist in the military and uh, so one weekend a month and two weeks out of the year, I was trained. I was getting military trained and getting paid to train as a photojournalist while I was going to school to study communications and journalism and that kind of stuff. So it's just I'm like, this is a great win win. Right. So I always thought because that's when you got into it. That's yeah, like yeah. you could see the switch in the career. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. OK, I am. Now doing this, it wasn't I'm in. right. It wasn't. I, I'm I'm eight years old. And I want to fly helicopters, right? Right, and that's my passion at eight. And somehow I'm going to translate it to an adulthood, which we all wanted to be astronauts or firemen right. or right. You switched it then. Had somehow that had happened for you in high school, or or the first couple months in the military, would you have stayed in the army longer? in some kind of photojournalism capacity because I have met guys who were, uh, I did a workshop in Maine Media and there was a, a captain in the Air Force and she was she had been in for like 15 years. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm not leaving. She's like, I got I work at the best newspaper and magazine. It's the Air Force and, and so forth. So had that have been presented to you in that way? Could that have been something... Because you know, like you know, this generals have their own right. personal. Pe it's like right, right, right. It's right. a machine at oh, that right. level. Right. When when I at eighteen, nineteen, twenty, no, I I just wasn't there. Right. And um, I just you know, just I wasn't there. I was still thinking, well, I learned explosives. Maybe I could still be a cop and be on the bomb squad. Um, that was my out. That was my, right. I thought it'd be LAPD bomb squad. But then I was around explosives too much, and I was like, you know what? I, I like my fingers. Um, <laughs> to count to I, 10. Wanna, I don't want to have to stress. So, um, yes, there's adrenaline rush, but there's a limit to how much adrenaline you want. Um, but I thought, you know, once I discovered it, then I realized like this is a thing. I kick myself, um, you know, after the fact. I kick myself all the time. Like I could have totally done this in the military. I wouldn't have done army. Um, I would have gone Air Force or or Navy, probably. I wouldn't have gone Marines. And, and, and you say that, those are the two most beautiful ones visually. Yeah. Oh, because combat camera? Oh, my gosh, yes. those guys. Yeah. The, I, I once uh, was in a – I was a judge for a photo contest, and the guys in the Navy, their stuff mm -hmm. was – 
just magnificent. The the time on a carrier in right. a sub. Oh yeah, and yeah. then the stuff that the Air Force, Air Force. people shot. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my god, you're getting paid right. to hang out of name the plane and shoot other planes right. for them. And yeah, they were, they were, the one of the uh, people did a high was it the Halo high yeah. altitude jump? Yeah, and shot it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah. I would have killed to have mounted a camera on my head at 30,000 feet and right. jump. Right, right. Yeah, I, you know, because they don't show this video in the recruiting station. Right. They show the infantry, combat engineer, armor. You know, here, you drive a tank. How cool is that? You know, for an 18-year-old kid. Wow, that's cool. Right. Um, that's like a monster truck. But see, they only suckered you for two years. Right. Had they showed you something else, my no. thought was... No, because at 18, 19, I went, because the only thing that got me in was the two years. Right. Because I went and talked to the other recruiters, and everybody had said four years. Actually, to be honest, um, looking back hindsight now, I didn't, I, I didn't talk to them. And, and usually, like, they're considered the, the military stepchild, but I would have probably gone Coast Guard. Yeah, no. Um, because they, they have a great public affairs, photojournalism, media kind of area. And uh, plus, you're Rhode Island. Yeah, exactly. You're doing stuff, you know, on the coast. Right. You're, you're, you know, what you're going to be always on the coast. Beautiful you scenery. Know, you're not I'm, in Iowa. Right. Right. There's nothing exactly. wrong with Iowa, but you're not going to be right. a Southern California kid. Right. Oh, Coast Guard would have been the way to go. Oh, sorry. You're going to have to spend two years in Rhode Island, and then we're going to move you to, you know, name the other spot. Yeah. Sorry. You're going to be on the Gulf Coast. Right. And, oh, we're going to move you up to the- uh, Special training to, in Maine. Yeah. And Oregon, the Oregon Coast up in Astoria. Right. You know, you have to stay up. Oh, okay. Again, again, looking back now from a mature adult standpoint, I was like, damn it. I should have paid more attention. Um, but as a, you know, 19-year-old, you know, you, you have teenage brain kind right. of a thing. And I wasn't really thinking- along those lines but yeah no i do kick myself um for you know maybe not seeing that not being more aware the thing about so i i did training the the photojournalism training you do it's a joint operation training so you do training with public affairs people from the marines and from the air force from the navy you know talk to each other and go through the training and you're trained as a defense information school and they teach they teach you that stuff um but what they do, um, and, and you learn about the different branches. And the Army, public affairs and photojournalism is like a, yeah, I guess we need it. You can do that. You know, here it is. But even our officers, there's no branch where they can come in and learn it. You have to be, you're an infantry officer that now, now you're going to be tasked to do some administrative and run the public affairs unit. So, and then, then you go back and command your, your battalion. Oh, my gosh. Um, but the Navy and the Air Force have, you know, you go into combat camera and you go into these things and you get trained and that's your job. Like you're, you're, you're in there. And, uh, and so that's why I was like, man, if I had something that were with the branches that committed to it, you know, maybe that would have been cool. You right. know, maybe it would have been more into it. Um, I actually, you don't know this. I don't think you know this, but I was, tell me, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I was considering, um, cause the other thing, ultimately I ended up almost 12 years, uh, in, in military and at 20 you retire, you know, you get the retirement right. and that kind of stuff. Yep. So I'm like, this was probably maybe about eight, 
years ago or so. I was really contemplating going back, like National Guard and Reserve. No, I remember you talking okay. about this, yeah. Yeah. Because you would become an officer. Yeah, I was going to be an officer. Right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if I told you or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you advised me on that at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was going to go Navy. And I was talking to the Navy because um, I was like, I'm not going to. Because if you go officer in the Army, they're going to put you like, I'm going to be an engineer officer. Right. Screw that. Um because I wanted, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to do public affairs, and so, and I thought, well, Navy, Navy doesn't have National Guard. Navy has Reserve, and that's San Diego. I'm like, I right. could do that. And I talked to the guys down there, but at the time, you know, now you're married, two kids. I'm teaching full time. The kids went, were young too. Yeah, the kids were young, and my wife was like, "Oh hell no!" You know, she's like, "I support you, but you know, if you're going to deploy for a year, um, I'm not going to be very happy." And, <laughs> And then the mantra, you know, happy wife, happy life kind of kicks in. So it's like, oh, man. And uh, I remember talking to the Navy officer recruiter. I mean, we had been talking for a while, and he, he was technically a real estate agent in uh, San Diego. And I told him the situation. He's like, yeah. He's like, if she's not in, don't. Right. don't. It's not a good idea. Right. At this point in your career, <laughs> right. you, it's, he's not recruiting you. He's recruiting the family. Family at that yeah. point. Yeah, and that's what he was saying, especially in the reserve unit. And, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm not a – you know, 21 year old single guy anymore. Right. So now it's, I got a lot of baggage and a lot of responsibility. So he told me, he's like, yeah, probably, pro- probably better off not. To Let it. me save you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From being served divorce papers. <laughs> right, exactly. And being miserable the whole time. And uh, just to do eight years to get the retirement, he's like, it's not, right. it's not well, worth it. After judging that contest, mm-hmm. I was like, damn it. I would have loved to have yeah. known. That I would have, I might have have signed up Navy or Air Force, yeah. done eight years and been a journalist yeah. there. I mean, holy God. Yeah. And then, obviously, you were blowing up stuff, but yeah. have been a journalist during a war on the inside? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I would have been cleaning up awards. <laughs> yeah, I, um, my, so I was in the National Guard and then I got out. And then I came back in um, just to do a couple more years after after September 11th. Because I, I came back in to the National Guard because I was going to like, I'm just going to go back in. I'm going to finish up and get my retire. I really wanted to hit my 20 years. Right. Um, but Because the package is different yeah. when you get there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You And you get money. You know, that's right. the thing. I'm like, this is on top of my retirement. I'm like, this would be sweet. They get it. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They, but you committed to 20. Right. And so, but when I came back, the my the National Guard unit, the public affairs office was rebuilding. It was a whole new unit and whole new people. Um, and I was running, I was photo editor of our magazine and I was running the, the photo aspect of our, of, of the state division, um, which is cool, cool responsibility for, you know, kid in his twenties. And, uh, but so I come back in and, uh, a whole new crew and these guys had been, they did a tour in Kosovo. And so, and I was like. Oh, right. Because you missed all that. Right. I missed I, I missed it. I got out and I came back right around that. That was and, a weird UN war. Right. Exactly. But they were talking about how they were similar situations. Right. And then all of a sudden now they had these, we had to beg, borrow, and steal to get our equipment. Now they had a hard Pelican case of just Nikon and they had a hard Pelican case of a cannon and they checked that out and you had everything there. Go. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> so they really did it. And I was like, these guys are, 
this is different. This is high speed. But they had all this experience. They were showing me those photos and stuff. And I'm like, Eastern Europe and combat. And you've got the cool, dramatic colors with the snow. And, and that was film. Yeah. Right, because yeah. they haven't tapped into digital at that point. They they were, they were just starting. Kosovo was in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Bosnia, so. Right. Yeah, it was primarily film. Right. Yeah. I mean, so that was just a whole different time. Yeah. I mean, even the stuff that I was doing, I was learning how to make a photo lab at a bathroom. Right. You know, that's part of the right. training. You got to yeah. set it up wherever you are in a closet, in a, in a, in a, in a building that you take right. over. So you got to set up the photo lab and uh, do everything in the dark. And, um, but yeah, now that it went to digital, actually, yeah, they, by the time I got in, by the thing they came back from Kosovo, we were all digital and they were just new Canon and Nikon digital cameras. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Right, you know? that 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 was a game changer. Yep. yep. Yeah. Right. There hadn't been social media yet, but now yeah. there's digital. Well, they had the now, internet. <laughs> right. The interwebs. Yeah. Exactly. But even then, like that was. You've got mail. That was an absolute different time. We get lost in thinking the late '90s was no. The internet was so a child yeah. in the '90s. Yeah, it was almost a toy. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, okay, so we post stuff on the internet. Yeah, good luck having to find it dial up. Right, right. right? Yeah, I mean, that screeching. A lot of yeah. people still didn't have desktop computers at home or laptops. You right. had it at your work. So right. it, Yeah, the technology wasn't the same. No. It was just now kind of coming out. So it was, it was really interesting to be around at that time and then be part of communications, you know, as, as, it, as it was evo evolving quickly, you know. For the service branches, how did they go about like budgets for that kind of stuff. Mm. Like, was it the same protocol like in a, in a corporation? You got to put in your budgets at the end of yep. the year and want stuff? Yeah, basically. Did you feel that the services got stuff at the top or were they kind of like years behind on technology? <laughs> well, just because of the slow yeah. military movement. Well, I was in the, at that time, I was in the National Guard. Right. So, in the National but Guard, so you have federal active duty. And then you have Federal Reserve, and then you have National Guard. National Guard is state troops. Right. And so it was, you know, third generation hand-me-down kind of stuff okay. at that point. So, so the National Guard was based, you know, we were lucky to get equipment that we got, and we were excited about it. But we usually got stuff that active duty kicked down to the reserve, and reserve kicked over to us. Or sometimes it would come down to active duty. Reserve would get the lion's share, and then guard would get a little bit. So the active duty was, you know, top of the line stuff because they're getting stuff as it's as it's coming out. Right. And um, and ooh, we should do this. And um, but, it, you know, and then it, it, there's a hierarchy of units at like Fort Bragg getting high end stuff units in Alaska. Not, you know, right. they'll right. get it, but they'll get it slower. Right. Six months. a year. Yeah, later, they'll get it before the National Guard does. Right. And then the National Guard like, oh, my gosh, this is great. You know. A friend of mine, Ron Tanawaki, who worked at Nikon, he one of his jobs was training the military personnel in their gear. He would say they would spend a huge allotment of money on stuff because they could do it. They yeah. were they were going to they had their newspapers. They yep. were and at this point it was internet had been blowing up in the two thousands. They were constantly creating unbelievable content. Did you see any of that on your end or what was the content you guys were making? We, for, so, <laughs> funny, so the city of California, 
Um, there was our state public affairs office, which was up in Sacramento. And then in California, there's California has an entire division, which is a large unit, um, like the 82nd Airborne Division. So we had the 40th Infantry Division, okay. and it spans the entire state. So, um, and we were headquartered, the division public affairs, we were in our headquarters, which is in Los Alamitos. Okay. But there was also the state office, and the state published a magazine called Grizzly. Okay. And, <laughs> yeah. Because California. Sure. And um, and then we published our magazine called Sunburst, which was the patch, Sunburst, Sunburst Division. So um, state got a little bit more than we did because the proximity to Sacramento and then trickled down. We were usually kind of not necessarily in conflict with them. We had more resources than they did. Okay. But, but they had more – like we had more people and they had more resources, I guess. Um, but um, – yeah, so we were doing statewide publications. The difficulty, because I had my engineering experience, um, I was usually the guy that went after and talked to the engineering units. But it went, I went out to a bunch of different units and did stories on them. Um, but we, um, you know, when, when there was flooding in Northern California, um, we would do stories on the engineering units that were going, called out to help with the flooding and help that. I did. Now, now these pieces, were yeah. these, and I don't, I mean, you did, be, they're fluff. Yeah, to be disrespectful, are they they're fluff? fluff? They're fluff. Or, or could it all at any time, can you be like, let's try to make a really cool photo? Or Oh, yeah, yeah. No, or, we could. Or we could. But dig but, into the real story of why the dam broke. Or yeah. was it, oh, the guys are just rebuilding the dam. It was more focused on the, the challenges. Um, of the construction uh, or whatever. Yeah, the challenges that the, that the guard personnel faced going out there and how they're, you know, they're, they're leaving their families behind to commit to this, you know, like more feature driven stuff okay. and the photos of them actually working. We did some, I did a lot of stories on the counter drug operation that the national guard, California national guard worked a lot with the counter drug stuff. Um, so we would do counter drug stories for up in the, the green triangle up in Chico. And, yeah. That's big up there. Yeah. And we also did the stuff, the engineering units were tasked, you know, a lot of stuff is talking about the 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 wall, right, and the border wall. Sure. Now, but there was they were already working on border fencing and border walls back, you know, in the nineties. Right. That's and, nothing uh, new. Yeah. The engineers so they were, would go they out were there. building the they were putting those things up, and so I would do stories on those guys and take photos of them working and, you know, building the wall and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what it was. I did a I, I did a cool feature. Um, this kind of also tells you. This is also I I, I got this through because again I was editor of the magazine at the time that uh, I, I wanted to have one that kind of was the epitome of what the National Guard was compared to an actor. Because I came from Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg was hardcore. Right, that's a, like, that's a city. Yeah. That's a and, giant facility. But, I mean, you were you knew your stuff. You had spit-polished boots every day, clean-shaven. I went to National Guard, and I was like, yeah, we'll get around to it. Um, I mean, National Guard's changed a little bit. but You're it was flop son. It was, it was from a high-speed unit to a kind of a low-speed unit. And... So the engineering unit that I was at when I came into National Guard was in Manhattan Beach. And <laughs> oh, Manhattan Beach. Yeah, exactly. So I had, you know, and those guys are like, yeah, we got to do, we got to do some training on a bridge reconnaissance. So let's go out to the pier. So we just hung out at the beach <laughs> and a couple guys did the actual reconnaissance. We just had ice cream and just came back. And um, so I was like, this is crazy. And uh, then we had to do our physical training. Uh, our PT test, which is push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run. The two-mile run um, was done on the Strand. 
Oh. And so I'm like, I remember doing that, and I was like, this is freaking unreal. So we're running down the strand, and you know, people are in the mornings coming out having their mimosas and stuff on the balconies of their homes, and there's people walking on the beach and they're waving to us and stuff, and swimsuits and bikinis and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I got whiplash from looking around so much. <laughs> so I thought, this is this is unreal. This is like a California experience. So I did. I remember doing a big feature on on that. Uh, and do some photos with them running. Yeah, it's a totally different. It's a totally it's a, different. It's a special thing just for California National Guard that you have this. You know, I mean, Wisconsin National Guard isn't doing this. No. So that story got some traction after I did it. Um, the U.S. you know National National Guard Bureau right. took that and kind of shared like you know highlighting California um, and just run it on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> so. Tough life. Yeah. So, so you're doing that time, but how do you trans? into photojournalism, journalism, PR, marketing <laughs> at to Fullerton College. Right. So you've, you've gotten your degree now at yep. Long Beach State. Yep. You, you've waited a little bit. You don't go to full, Cal State Fullerton for your master's until right. you've already been at Fullerton for a while as a professor. Right. Where did you move into Fullerton College? So, so I fell in love with journalism right. so at, you're, at Fullerton College. And so I had... Gone. I apologize for that. No, it's all right. <laughs> you should have fallen in love with like business or something. I know, I know. So I, I got into it there, and then I went to I went to Long Beach, and then but I did a ton of internships. I did PR internships. I was stringing for the Times, and then I started working kind of at the Times. But then I went into magazines. Yeah, you were hopping around all over the place. Yeah, because I was just trying to find different opportunities. There and was different a car magazine. Yeah, I ultimately ended up. Well, I was in different couple different car magazines, right? But yeah. but um. I ultimately ended up there. And then at that time, I was asked to, um, the the woman who got me inspired, you know, taught me a lot about journalism at Fullerton College, said, right. hey, you should come back and teach. There's a thing open. And I'm like, I'm I'm doing journalism, right? Right, I'm like, right. I'm like, so, I used to laugh at people teaching it. I, I got the Woody Allen mindset. You right. know, those who can do, those who can't teach, those who can't teach, teach Jim. Right, so that's what I'm saying. Like, we're all of a sudden you're, you're like, I'm doing it to let me teach you how to do. It. Right, that was not on my radar. Because that's a big jump. Yeah, and it's a whole it's a whole different mindset. It's a different set of gears. Yeah, and and I was like, I'm 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 doing it, and I I, I kept telling, I told her, no, I don't think so, I don't think so. But she's like, no, I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, no, um, but then I thought. <laughs> Well, and I was married, you know, we were kind of right. doing Right, this is early things. 2000s. Right, we were, we were kind of settling in, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, again, I'm looking forward, like, you know, family, career, settling in, and journalism's kind of unstable, and I was like, well, and, and she's saying I, I should try it and be good at it. Maybe I should, because, because as my mentor, she kind of got me into it. So I, I was like, okay, I'll do it for you. And then, so I... I took the class and taught the class. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was the Hornet. It was a newspaper uh, class. And um, I'm like, okay, we'll do it. And so I was hired and I loved it. And like, and, and not just because you get summers and, and Fridays off, um, which are bonuses, but, um, but the fact that, uh, you know, I can see the light bulbs turn on. Like right. I can tell them, hey, Pay attention to this, not this. You know, the textbook says this, but that that's just BS. You don't need to worry about that. Right. This is how you're actually going to run into it. Right. This is and how this, this is how is, the real world works. Right. 
And I thought, this is great. And, uh, and then I'm like, I really like this. And I'm like, and I could see me doing this. This is really good. And they said, great, because there's a full-time position coming up. I'm like, oh, I could do this full-time. This is great. And that's when they said, yeah, but you have to get your master's. <laughs> oh, pump the brakes on that one. Right. And slow down on that one. Nobody said anything about more school. Yeah, and that was always the thing that they got me. They always wanted me to do something. And they're like, yeah, like, well, come on. Exactly. But you have to get, you have to have your degree. And I was like, oh, man. But I've been working for 20 years. Yeah. Does that count? <laughs> and and so academia, they, you have to have that as a minimum qualification. So I was like, oh, man. So I'm looking around. I'm like, I, you know. C's got degrees kind of a thing. I got, I got, I got my degree and, uh, but I, I excelled in all the journalism classes. It's just that the earlier classes I didn't do too well in, but I got it done. Right. Um, it's all but, that matters. Yeah. But then I looked around, I'm like, well, let's see. I was working at the magazine full-time in Placentia and then I was teaching part-time at Fullerton College and I was living, I think, at the, I think we were still living in Fullerton at the time. Off associate? Um, yeah, I think we were over there at that time. Um, and I was like, well, I could, I guess I could do this. And, um, and, you know, I, I got to find something that makes sense. Um, Cal State Fullerton has a master's program. So I'm like, oh, I'll do that. That's just right in my little triangle. Right. Thing. I'm right back home from right 1989. There. I'm not, yeah, I'm doing it. So, um, so I was able to, to do that, um, while we were living and finished. So I was, I was taking classes, teaching class, working at the magazine, and then we had our ba had a baby you know, during that time. <laughs> so it was a lot going on. Um, and, um, yeah, so we ended up, um, yeah, I ended up getting my master's there from Cal State Fullerton. And then at that time, I remember the position came open just before I got my master's, and so I applied for it, and they I remember the interview with the president, and she said um, – you know, if you get this, you know, we're going to like, basically when it got to the point where they're going to offer it to me, they said, we're offering it to you, but you have to get your master's. I'm like, I'm, I'm so almost done at this point. I'm like, I'm going to get it done. And, um, they said, okay, as long as you get it done. Did they if, give you like a, you got, yeah, they gave me months like, or yeah, they gave me like a, a, a like a day and uh, not a day, like a, day. <laughs> like a, a year. Oh, an online class. Yeah. huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a year left, but I, I got it done. And, um, before that, and I sent her, the degree and I'm like, see, I got it. So cool. Right. So, but yeah. Um, so I, I got hired before I got the, got the degree, but I got the right. degree to solidify. And a lot of times they'll do that. Like yeah. if you're on track for it, they'll, it was, I was almost done. Right. So just, a, it was just a timing thing. Cause I just remember you telling me, Hey, I'm going to do this full time. And I just thought, is there, this is the most craziest <laughs> time in journalism, right? Because yeah. Oh no, this is the most craziest time. Well, <laughs> at, at the that time. point, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's becoming, Multimedia. Multimedia, digital. Yep. People were adding audio. Yep. The internet now had started to become something. Yep. Post-September 11th, so yep. that weird switch. Yep, yep. Um, that was crazy. Yeah, And yeah. there still wasn't social media. Right, right. The social media was basically still on the internet. On the internet, yeah. Which yep. is archaic, but yeah. that's how it was, kids. <laughs> right, right. You had to drag your computer around to right. be social. Right. Chat rooms and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I was just thinking, you're you're gonna teach these kids digital and multimedia. Yeah. And wow, that is so overwhelming because yeah. it was just yeah. evolving so quickly. Right. And who would have thought that would have been easy compared to now? Right. Right. 
Right. Right. Like, oh, you're only teaching them that? Right. Now, right. then you're like, oh, it's crazy. Right. Because I remember you having me in for lectures and I'd be like, you got to know this, this, and this. Yeah. Now it's like a laundry list. It's exactly. like a joke. Well, a lot of that stuff they should already know. Sure. And if they don't, they're screwed. But the other stuff is now, okay, this is how you, you know, capitalize your Instagram stories and how you utilize this and check the your, analytics of check stuff. your likes and see how, how your audience engagement comes in. Right. It's like, where did that come in from the, you look at my old school professors from my, um, you know, when I was going for my bachelor's, these guys from the Washington Post that were talking about Watergate still and um, right, their experiences at the Washington Post with Bradley. And I was like, uh, you know, I, we don't have typewriters anymore. Right. Well, can you imagine how that story would have been broke today? Yeah. It would have been broke on Twitter. The problem, yeah. the problem is it never would have made it to the paper. Yeah. Because it would have been leaked. It would have been out. Yeah. It would have been leaked and it would have never become Watergate in the Washington Post. It yeah. would have been on one of their Twitters, so they would have decided to do it a different way. It, yep. it wouldn't even have been a good multimedia piece. Nope. That's the problem. No. Like and so the a couple way guys you, broke into the campaign headquarters. Right. And 180 characters with emojis on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two guys running out of a hotel room. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's the interesting part. So you're, you're doing that, and you're doing it right during this at that point, revolutionary change in journalism to the web. Yeah, yeah. Because when you and I were in the 80s, it was a newspaper, it was a radio. Right. Now you're teaching them there's a, going to be this bigger thing. Trust me. It's right. the internet. Right, it, right. It's here, and it's going to get bigger. Right. I don't know if those kids in 2005 understood how much bigger it was going to be because now those kids are – probably in their 30s at some point. They're, yeah. And they're probably going, holy crap. Right. Yeah. Some of my first students are, um, you know, still working at the, one of them in particular is still working at the register and she's gone through the evolutions and stuff, um, you know, with the, you know, publications and websites and OC Post and. Oh, well, God. Yeah. yeah. But all those kind of. And they just had layoffs again. Right. And those kind of things. She's been able to survive, but. The the thing I guess that really, and I guess I didn't know this before about myself, but I started to realize that I still like learning. And then my thing is, I'm very I like technology. Like I, you know, we didn't have a lot when we were younger, right? Because we um, it wasn't there. You know, TV and ooh, we got cable. You know, um, and very few people had computers, right? Like real computers, right? And then as that grew, you know, you know, you can only play Oregon Trail for so long, but as that evolved and video games and stuff like that and the idea of how how this technology works i've always been like a like really into it and so in teaching it knowing that that i need to keep learning in order to i'm not i don't like stagnating right. that's my thing is i don't want to sit back and i could easily do that and i see some of my colleagues and stuff especially in other areas because every once in a while i was like man god i wish i could just teach math um, right. Because math doesn't change. No, two and two still four. Pythagoras made that theorem, you know, in BC, and it's still used today. Like, why do they even have new textbooks? But anyways, right. um, nothing changes. So, um, but I was like, man, that that would be so easy. Um, I'm sure it's hard, but to their to their version of hard. But the idea of with with media is you have to just keep up with everything, and everything keeps changing. Right. But 
I like that. That's that adrenaline rush that I was talking about, like the sure. blowing stuff up. It's kind of been replaced by, oh, I got to learn this. Oh, I got to learn how to use this and how to incorporate, bring this into technology in. And I got to teach the students on this. Um, you know, we stopped, my students stopped printing the newspaper, went all digital. And that's still kind of seen in the state among my, my peers as far as instructors at, at other colleges, almost a sacrilege um, because like, right. but, I, but I'm like, man, if I'm teaching these students and we've had this conversation, mm -hmm. I'm teaching these students the skills they're going to need three to four years down the road. Are they going to need to size a photo? Are they going to need to lay out a page in InDesign? They could, but they could get that on a YouTube video if they really wanted to. Right. Um, I don't need to teach them that skill set. I need to teach them how to work in a multimedia kind of capacity. I need to teach them the technology. I need to have them think in those mindsets on how to how to create a video, how to post it on social media, how to do a podcast, and how to um, edit audio, and then how to take photos and you know multiple photos and and that kind of stuff. In addition to writing and capturing all that information, so there's a lot, but. Um, but I, I like that technical side, and that's what kind of drives me to keep, I want to keep learning so I can learn to teach them the the most up-to-date information. Right, and that's always impressed me about you and your teaching is that at our age, right, we're 48, Yeah. that if you were 18 learning from a 48-year-old, he was talking about Watergate. Yeah. You're not talking about Watergate. No. You're talking about the next app, the next this, the next that. You're right. up, and that's the advantage of having a professor that's, up on it and not still going, you know, exactly. wax layout was fantastic. Right. Yeah, I'm sure it was, but there's more communication being done on Twitter, which good or bad, it's just being done and the reach is greater right. than ever at any newspaper or magazine could have ever thought of. Well, I'm you know, we're now talking about how how to incorporate TikTok into the communication aspect. How can you utilize that? as a tool to bring information in like Snapchat was too. So, you know, there are peers that in other disciplines and other areas that wouldn't know what TikTok is right. or they just laugh at it. And it's like, well, you know, this is what your kid's using. You right know. now. Okay. So you say TikTok, does that worry you that like even the military's told their soldiers do not use it, like yeah. stay off it. There's obviously information that goes straight to China. It's yeah. owned by China. Like, does that kind of stuff? Do you do you, you tell them, or at least I'm, the students understand? Like, there's doors being open of information. That yeah, we it's, have. It's a weird. It's a weird thing to to know yeah. that like you if you wrote, if you read the Wall Street Journal in 1980, the Russians weren't reading. Right. What you were reading. Right. Well, they were reading the newspapers that right. you were reading, too. But, but they, they didn't, weren't reading but they, your private information. But they didn't know what section of the newspaper you were reading. Right. Now... Siri wasn't listening right. and saying, oh, can I show you this ad? Right. TikTok's <laughs> telling them or anybody, like, you were here, you were there, you were this long with this many people. Like, right. that's the difference. Right. The Russians could have been reading the Wall Street Journal, but they weren't reading the, what you were reading. Right. Or what you found interesting. Right. And that's, you know, we, with the students, we always have those conversations and usually a student or, or two might bring it up or if they don't, then we bring it up. Just, I just want to make them aware. Sure. And, you know, they can do whatever they want to with it, but, you know, we're going to talk about it and just make them aware of this. You know, it, it was kind of like when people, when social media first came out, right. And I, I use this example a lot because it's kind of, uh, people were thinking, 
that, oh, I put this on social media, but I have a private account. It's like, <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have private yeah. anything. The idea that there was that rash of like beauty queens uh -huh. that had to give up their um, their crowns because they found something on their Facebook where they were doing keg stands in Cabo or something right. like that. And, um, oh, how did you find that? That's on my account. That's private. And it's, no, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's public social media. So ever since then, I, I, we always have the conversation with students, no matter what class it is, about, you know, if you don't want it out, leave it on your desktop. Right. You know, and. You know, and even that's dangerous. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> that backed up to the cloud. Depending on where your, cl yeah, yeah. Where your cloud dump is. But, um, you know, those kind of things that if just, but don't put it out on social media and think that it's going to be only seen by you and your friends. Right. You know, so uh, I used to do a uh, another thing that it's funny. I got I guess it was creepy, but um, I stopped it because it, I realized, oh, yeah, I guess it's creepy. There was a low time in 2009 ish, I think, where our enrollments were down. So we were tasked to do a lot more recruiting. And, you know, I don't, I'm not in a biology class, so I don't get a bunch of students that are coming in for general education. Right. They take my classes as elective because they want to. So let people know about what these classes are. And, um, you know, knowing social media, I was using TweetDeck and stuff. So I'm looking at different things. So anytime somebody would mention, like, Fullerton College or Fullerton or something like that, and somebody would be like, yeah, I can't believe I'm so excited to enroll at Fullerton College or whatever, and they would tweet that out. And then... It would pop up, and I would be like, oh. so I would send him a tweet, and I would tweet and tweet back to them and say like, hey, not pri in private message. I would just tweet on there. Right. I was responding, say, hey, if you need any classes, I know some great classes to take um, at Fullerton College, and send that out, and they would be like, how did you know? How did you see my stuff? I'm like, well, you put it out on social media. People have no idea how it really works. Right. They just think it's just my little bubble. My 12 people. Right. And no. no, it's not. You know, everything's searchable. Right. And, uh, but, but I wasn't, I wasn't recruiting as many people and people were kind of getting, how'd you get my, I'm like, I didn't, it's TweetDeck. Here's the link to what TweetDeck tweet is. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> and so I would educate people that way, but I wasn't recruiting people. And I realized, I guess that would be kind of creepy if you were like a, like a 19 year old kid or whatever. And then all of a sudden you got this message bing, from, bing, bing, from bing, out bing. of nowhere just random person saying hey take my classes i'm like you know what no nah, now it's okay sure but back in the day it was how did was, you find me? yeah how did you find me <laughs> so but uh but those are examples again i tell students about with social media and how that that was back then just think of what it is now so and it's just gonna and then think about what it's gonna be in five years and ten years so as they're gonna get in the professional field it's just gonna get more and more accessible and things are just going to be out there. So you just got to be aware of what's going on. Right. So now this little boy at uh, third grade who falls in love with flying, right? Gets rejected. Yeah. Doesn't make it happen. Tries it again, gets rejected somehow through technology and the learn of constantly wanting to learn. How in the hell does this goofy technology probably what, like 10 years ago, giant drones become something you're going to, incorporate into a college yeah because <laughs> i remember going to it wasn't even ces it was a nab mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they had and this is i don't know 2010 or 11 yeah they had them but they were the size of like the bigger coffee like, like tables. a mini helicopter yeah yeah and they're like they can fly for eight minutes <laughs> yeah. yeah what does it do it flies for eight look at minutes. this footage yeah yeah but it's 8k 
Yeah, yeah. Now it's 8K. The size, not 8K yeah, video. It was yeah. 8K total. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the file size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Now it's 8K. Yeah, the quality. is. You can right. see the pores on right. that. Right. How, how did you jump ahead of that and decide, I see this? So... I still don't think I, I'm ahead, so that's what I th- you know. Right, but, but you know what? But that that's the thing that keeps me going. You've got something that nobody else was doing, or right, or at least you're ahead of the curve. Right. Yeah. I, I and that's the thing that this fear because I went what? Yeah, this fear of 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 being behind. I think is what propels me to keep going forward, and uh, which is a good thing. I think that's good because competition. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get ahead, but. Um, so, yeah, with drones, um, it's funny. I was starting to hear stuff about drone journalism and stuff. And What year? Oh, my gosh. It was 20, maybe 2015, 2014. Yeah, so about five years ago. Okay. Um, and, and this guy at University of Nebraska, Lincoln, um, started creating drone stuff. And I was like, that's weird. Um, how did you find him or see him? Was it like a seminar? Yeah, he did. He did a class. He put out a thing like, Hey, I got some money. Y'all can come out and do this class. And I was like, I'm, you know, I felt the little aviation thing kind of coming back a little bit, but I was like, eh, I, I, I've been rejected so many times. Well, (laughs) I know. Well, I didn't, I I couldn't put the two together. Sure. So I was trying to think how do drones, now it's easy. Yeah. I said, how do you, do you have a drone parked over the person's shoulder while you're doing interviews? And you capture it like a TV camera, right? And uh, and how does that work? And I, I just didn't have this. I had this weird vision. I, I just didn't see how it works. So I'm like, you know what? No, nah, I'm not interested. Um, plus, I, who wants to go to Nebraska? No offense, <laughs> but um, I was like, no. Um, so so I kind of put it away. But I knew it was still kind of percolating there, right? After that, then um, National Press Photographers Association partners with Pointner Institute and they start doing um, like a road show. They start doing this training right. for um, drone journalism and they do like University of South Carolina, Nebraska, Wisconsin and University of Oregon. And um, I think they did another one in there, but I, I wasn't paying attention. So I was like, you know what? I just looked at it and I was like, you know what? This is a. I think this is a. This might be a thing. But still, you say drone drone journalism, and I still go. I know. How are you? You I, gotta. Are you flying the right, camera right, right, and interviewing right, like? Right, right, and that's what that same as here. I was like, this is something. Maybe I should look at it. It's a niche of a niche. And I put I, I put the paperwork in, and I said I kind of want to. Maybe I'll go to this one in in, in Oregon, and. Uh, and so I went to that training. And this is what, 15, 16? This is, yeah, 15, 16. I got I to gotta go back and remember. Maybe 16. It's either early 16 and 15. I think, I think it, no, it, it's 16, because 16 is when Part 107 came out. So it was right when Part 107 came out. Okay. And, because um, that was the big thing. And so 16, we go up there, and um, or I go up there. And what's interesting, I, I was there with all these amazing photojournalists, right, in the in the crowd. All these LA Times Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalists and president of the MPPA and stuff are are there and we're all learning at the same time. We're all trying to find, you know, they're they're teaching all this stuff about 
drones and drone photojournalism and drone journalism in general and how to use it. And, uh, and it was that case, it was taking that class. It was a three day training, real quick training. And then there was, um, a guy, um, named Johnny Miller who is there speaking. Um, he has a, if you look at his website, he has a program. He's, he's American and he's, he's in South, he lives in South Africa and he's been working on a program called Unequal Spaces. And what it does is, is they use the drones and the drone Africa where they fly and they started in South Africa, okay. but now it's global. And what they do is they show economic disparity between the haves and the have nots. Things that you can't see on the ground. Mm -hmm. Like if you're just in ground level and you see a shack and you see some mansions and stuff, and it's like, oh, okay, here's a road, that kind of stuff. But you, you look at, if you go to Unequal Spaces, you go to the website, and now he's got all these different communities around the world, um, and these aerial shots where you just see, right? And what that kind of did it for me. That that made me realize, oh, perspective. It changes perspective. It allows you to see things you can't normally see. You know, it's one thing to um, like the Paradise Fire, right? right. That that devastated, took out the city of Paradise up in Northern California. It's one thing to put a, uh, a camera crew on the ground and take pictures from the ground. And, you know, you see devastation, you interview people and that kind of stuff. But it's like, oh, man, that's terrible. But you put a drone up and you see scope. Right. You see how big and the impact. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah, the outlines of lots, right. streets. Right, the houses that were there, they're no longer there. And you see just the, the like I said, the magnitude of, of things like that that you wouldn't see from the ground. Right. So it gives a perspective. So I realized, oh, my gosh, this is this is powerful. And um, so at that time, I drank the Kool-Aid. and uh, But I that, was, that was good Kool-Aid at that point because I, that was the first. That's yeah, it was early on. Yeah, you're that's jumping what, into the new pool. Right. And I came back down. I finished studying and I got my my part 107 certification and they told me administration said and I already actually was working on creating a class for drone journalism and I, I, I said I'm putting this drone journalism class through now when you're talking to your boss yeah he's telling you what like you want to do what well no you would think right because but, but he's what probably looking at it going journalism right you want to add to journalism well I came in and I, I have I have great administration right now. Not not a plug, but I do. They they they're great, really supportive of stuff and uh, and moving forward in technology. They don't want to stagnate. They want to be cutting edge. And so I that's good to have. Yeah, no, I know. I, and I I want to hold on to them as long as I can because right. they always transfer out. Um, but but I told them I said, yeah, hey, I got my license. I'm a certified drone pilot. I'm creating a class, and this is something that we're going to start doing now. And they said, hey, yeah. Basically, what they said was like, wow, drones are cool. Why don't you look at starting a program in drones? I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? Me, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean start a program? And But what that did, that kind of lit the fire, and I started thinking, I'm like, you know what? Let me look into that. And so I spent the next like year and a half – almost two years, really researching and investigating, getting into it, talking to people, looking at the fact that there's no other programs like that out there. That's what I was going to ask. Was there any blueprint in front of you to say, like, oh, that's how they did it at School X? Nebraska Nebraska was pretty cutting edge, but specifically for journalism. And what I, what I did was I realized that this 
goes beyond journalism, right? Oh yeah, and that's why. But I, was Nebraska using it for like farming, or were they doing journalism? Journalism. Okay. Right. Because you can now have a drone do so many things. Oh, right. Well, oh, that's what I realized. Right. It was just this. I, I always it's, it's this rabbit hole. Like I just I'm just gonna go in here, but I'm like oh. And there's more down, more down, more down, more down. So I just keep going further and further and deeper. And I realized that this is this could be so much bigger because these are used for so many amazing things. And so I thought this has to be broader. So then that changed the scope of what the program is going to be. And, you know, even today, today, people are still like, oh, how's that drone journalism thing? Going? Well, it's, it's not really just journalism. It's drones. Um, so we broadened out and basically I've kind of, I'm still rooted in journalism, but I've gone beyond journalism. And so we, we created the program or I created the program in what's called our tech area, tech classes. So it's kind of a broad based one because students get students that aren't interested in journalism will not take a journalism class. Sure. No, even though it's drones, they won't take it because it's like, Oh my gosh, I bet there's writing involved. Yeah. Right. A um, little bit, but not much. But if I put it under technology, then it's like a broad-based. And and so I thought, well, how can I do it to where, and with our area, is workforce development, is this creating job skills. How can somebody learn this and apply it to a career? And um, I don't want to be stuck in just journalism because that's such a small niche market. Right. Yes, we'll have that. But I also want to get into drones for mapping and surveying. I want to get into drones for construction. I want to get into drones and teach them how to use it for public safety. And I want to use it for all these different areas. And agriculture, like right. you name it. Well, here's the thing. Funny you bring up agriculture because I have – so I forget about that. I forget about agriculture because we're in Orange County. Right. But um, – But. But I – so last semester – in my piloting class, well, prior to this, I, I had a student in, in Fullerton College, and she's taken some IT classes in cybersecurity, but her her father owns a agriculture consulting firm up in um, uh, up outside of Bakersfield. Central California. Yeah. It's huge and, agriculture. And uh, so she, w- and she heard about the drone class, and her dad wanted her to get involved in it, so she's been my kind of go-to person, and she's great. But when... I, my, so she's been in a couple of my classes and then last semester, my Saturday piloting class, I get this guy comes in, his guy and his daughter and, uh, he, he comes in and, and it's Saturday, every Saturday for the semester. And he's like, okay, you know, Hey, I'm coming down from Fresno. We're, we're, we're taking the class from Fresno because there's nothing up in the Central Valley on drones at colleges and stuff. And my daughter's in college (laughs) and, um, and we're coming down to get this training. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, no pressure there. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, well, I'll, I'll teach you. And, uh, but, and I was thinking in my mindset, well, maybe it's got, they got relatives and they'll come down here and make a weekend out of it and go back up sure. and whatever. Nope. He, we have a coffee maker in the classroom. So he comes in, takes a class, and he's, he fills up his coffee at the end. He's like, okay, we got a long, long trip back. So it comes down every, he was coming down every Saturday with his daughter and they were taking drive. A, they were taking a class from Fresno to learn so they could go back and apply it to their farming business up there. That is huge. And I was like, what is this about? Um, cause there was nothing in the central Valley. Nobody, I guarantee you at Fullerton college, nobody is driving outside of the County. No, no. Right, to take 
bio, music, drama, right? Nothing, right? And and again, that just reminds me that oh my gosh, this is huge, and the applications are so big for this. So and we're just scratching the surface, right? It's still the wild west to some extent. That but a lot of a lot of students, I always tell them, I said, right now, nobody's saying no, right? So you can come in like, I want to use drones for this. A lot of people are like, okay. You know, if you can justify it, if it right. makes an argument, then go for it. Um, so it's still a lot of the a lot of the people that are like half-assed, a lot of businesses and stuff that are not, they're falling by the wayside. And that's cool. But now it's getting down to the core. Now it's getting, it's just getting to the point where it's like, now it's getting real, right? This is getting kind of more standardized. This is getting more professional and this is moving forward. But, um, but that... Again, all this stuff with the new technology, the the fact that, like I said, I don't want to ever behind, be behind. Right. Um, and the way that this is just formulating the opportunities that students are going to have just fuels me to keep going. Right. And, I mean, if I would have told you five years ago that it would have become now a staple for realtors to have a drone pilot right. at their disposal. Right. I'd be like, why? Right. Why? I can see the house. I want to see the inside. Well. Now you can see what it looks like from an aerial view from the top. You see the neighborhood. You can see from the second story out what you're going to see. I mean, there's all right. kinds of I – mean, it just makes a better video. Right. And you some can, of the drones, too, is you can take some of the drones and the, the, the better companies that will come in and shoot, and they'll bring a drone into the house. Yes. And they just continue the shot. So now you come from front the neighborhood door, in right. the front door, and you start walking through, and especially the smaller drones, or just get it to where you can – hold it and then just continue the shot the, the all the way through um i saw a shot they're getting more savvy right so it, this was extremely high end it was beverly hills brentwood yeah from the distance right i mean but it got through a standard size door so it wasn't a massive drone right right but they mic'd it up or she was mic'd up so they synced it up so she was talking that a drone is from a distance as it comes in her voice is synced up. She opens the door, yep. welcomes them. She goes, the drone, and her walk through the house, and she opens the sliders, and she goes out the back. Yep. And she goes, like, this is your backyard. And right. the drone goes up and out, and it does a tilt, shows right. it, and fly. And you're like, that's the intro. Yeah. I've seen stuff like that down, like, in for, uh, like, Monarch and, and right. Pelican, and, you know, that kind of stuff down in That's in, in a lot of Newport work. Coast. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it that's going to sell. Right. You know, that's that's that what that's what sets you as a realtor apart from your competition. Right. In order to do that, you have to know how to how to video and and have to have some skilled workers with you. Right. So, yeah, and I mean that's just drone photography and drone cinematography and stuff. Um, you know, every every time you watch any, anything on HGTV, every other shot is a drone shot. Oh, God, yeah. We were watching a surfing thing the other day. Drone shot. Drone, drone, shot. drone, 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 drone. Yeah, uh, and my family hates me because I keep, hey, drone shot. Shut up, Dad. <laughs> um, I know, Dad. So um, You don't know. You don't understand. <laughs> right. How much better everything would have been with a great aerial shot oh, yeah. and not having the down turbulence of the helicopter when they were doing this movie or that movie. Right. Well, also, so... So I, I binge watched the Ozark, the show Ozark. Okay, yep. Great show. And uh, now I got Jenny watching Ozark. So I'm watching again the second time. <laughs> and with her, I'm like, oh, you got to watch this part. And, uh, but I know this, the company. I know the guys who shot all the drone shots for, for Ozark. They're a company called Cinedrones. And um, 
and I've been talking to them for a few years and just picking their brain. Actually, the the head of um, Cinedrones is on our Fullerton College Fullerton Drone Lab Advisory Committee. So okay. picking his brain about what skills people need for cinematography and that kind of stuff. So, um, so it it's just and he just keeps saying, you know. It, it's not going anywhere, right? Because no. the drones are going to get smaller, the technology is going to get better, and you're going to cameras going to get building. better. Oh yeah, right. yeah. And and that's just here's the thing, that's just photo video. There's this whole other aspect. If you watch, you know, other shows like um, Exploration Unknown and all those guys where they they go into uh, mapping and they do the lidar. Um, stuff. So we're getting, we're teaching that as well. We've, you know, there's so many different applications. Like I said, it's just one of those things where you just, it's like an iceberg, you know, you just kind of feel all this, there's all this other stuff that's right. out there that um, students, if you're interested, can, can learn and can apply it to whatever field they're in. Did you see any drones when you were in your military service? <laughs> or would that have no. been, would that have been something where because you know the military always develops stuff first, or they they touch it first. Right. right. Would it have been a special forces Navy SEAL kind of like whatever they might have had, yeah. like a glider with a camera that gives a really bad crappy signal. Right. Right. Because back that was back in the day when technology was, you know, they were probably just like you know yeah, one of those little rubber band things right. and kind of thrown. Because everybody's there. excited just watching night footage of Wolf Blitzer on a building in a right. hotel, watching you know right. Baghdad go to hell. Right. Right. They they were already doing. Um, there was already uh, autonomous systems in military use, uh, but it wasn't at. It was it was way right. way That's in the pay grade up ahead, right? Um, but did you hear any whispers? Like I hear no, um, no, because it wasn't. It just it didn't trickle down at that right. point. You know, we were just so impressed with the helicopter, the Apache helicopters, right. and that kind of stuff. An A ten, right? Right. Okay, so now, within the last five years, how? And obviously you're not in the military, but you're you're in this inner oh, circle. Yeah, yeah. How prevalent do you think it is now for a group of battalion or guys to go out infantry? Oh yeah. To send out a drone over a ridge. Yeah. A mile away before you have to go stomping into something bad. Yeah, they they have it. I keep tabs on that because also the the other thing too is Southern California is still big in defense. Right. And um, defense companies and defense manufacturers that have been at, at workshops and stuff with Northrop Grumman and those kind of things. And I understand what they're doing. I was at, um, and a drone company can be in a, like at a strip mall garage. It doesn't have to be like, like, a, like Tesla, right? It doesn't have <laughs> yeah. to look like Boeing in Long Beach where it's right. just massive right. building. Right. It could be at a 4,000 square foot warehouse. Right. There, there's a couple down here in Irvine that right. are doing drone. Related and you wouldn't stuff. know. No, they're just, yeah. Um, but these guys, uh, th there's there's even counter drone issues, but that's a whole other thing. They're right, big right. Counter drone company in, in your Belinda, but um, they uh, they have smaller handheld squad size drones. So you're down to a squad, four or five soldiers or four or five Marines that they open up their pack and they have a little squad size drone. They just pop it up, fly it over, and just get an idea of what's over the ridge, and then it either comes back, or if it doesn't, that's okay, $30. But a lot of those, their drones, military drones will self-destruct. Right. They have the self-destruct button in there if they have to. So, so they can't fall into military hand, right, hands. Right, right. So what would that be for a consumer 
drone, like a DJI what? Or what would that be equivalent uh, to? You're looking at like a Tilo or something like that, like even maybe even smaller. They're just almost like a little dragonfly kind of thing. Of right. course, military can't use DJI, but because right. um, <laughs> of Chinese spying. But the um, those, those um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, they're just little, like as big as your hand. Like the, the Mavic Air size, it's almost okay. like a little patty, like a hamburger patty. Right. But even... Narrow, like narrower, changer. yeah, narrower. So they can just throw it up. It's almost like a, like a big dragonfly, right? And so they're they're rolling those out now, and you know, like ranger units have those, and special forces have those, and they're trying to get it down to where it's down to everybody. Um, well, if something so cheap like that, that is just they have smaller ones, and they right. also have the bigger ones sure. that they can go out and see a, a get an area, get a perspective, and then come back down, and they know the lay of the land. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. No, it's a game changer for the military. Okay, so how do you see, Greg, because now we had fires last year, mm -hmm. and all these morons are putting up drones, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I mean, drones go up, it means helicopters come down. Yeah, or any kind of aircraft. Right, anything. Yeah. Morons, right? You got to, yeah. right. some of the water drop, big plane, you don't need a phantom going through a turbine. Right, right. So how much do you see firefighter or departments and police using drones? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I remember early on, it was like, we don't want the police to have drones. They'll be spying on us. They and they, I, they I still tell that. you, the kid in the neighborhood's doing that. Right, right, exactly. I mean, they, we did a shoot here, right. a Tavik shoot in Beverly Hills, and we have these beautiful models in the backyard in skimpy suits, and there was some young kid flying over, <laughs> watching, yeah. going, hey, hey, wow, look at, look at these yeah. beautiful girls. Yeah. Well, you're in Beverly Hills. They're, uh, show me an ugly woman. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so everybody's <laughs> seeing you. How... Where, where do you see fire and police using it? They're already using it. Um, LA County Fire, um, LA County Fire is huge with drones. They have they they were one of the first. Do they have a like company or division? Like how do they? Yeah, work they it out they like? they have it incorporated within their program. There there's actually public safety right now is the the hot button area for drones, um, and uh, most major police departments have drones. So. Okay, are, do you have to be, like, we have a friend, Franco, who's mm -hmm. a fireman, and I, we've talked to him about right. this. Do you have to be a firefighter, get your license, and then you're still in that group as a firefighter, or can you be an independent contractor working for the fire department? So, how do they? You you're know? a firefighter. Okay, yeah. so you're they, a firefighter. They train, they train and certify the firefighters, because that okay. way you know what you're doing. Um, we have a couple police officers on our advisory committee, too, so I talk to them about what law enforcement is using for public safety. Same thing with them? They're, yeah. You're, and, you're and a they, cop, and you fly a drone. Right. They tell us, um, as far as training goes, because I'm like, oh, yeah, we should do this and this. And he's like, well, slow down. Um, we want, he's like, you can go ahead and train them to get certified as pilots, to get the Part 107 certification. Right. We'll train them the rest of the way. We'll okay. train them our way. Okay. Um, but that's why I'm working with our Administration of Justice program, who's really excited about drones. And I'm trying to, I'm, work, I'm developing classes with them as far as with um, how to use drones for like search and rescue, how to use drones for night operations, how to use drones for accident reconstruction. Like if it, right. Um, th I was at a I was at a workshop at a conference, and um, the head of Nevada's um, state troopers, okay, and he's head of their air, air operations program, so helicopters and that kind of stuff. He was saying he he was saying this was a couple of years ago. He said that probably in about five or ten years, every patrol car will have some kind of drone 
in it. Really? Yeah. Just because if you go out to an accident, if you're, you know. Well, okay. It makes total a, sense. Put a drone up and you've got to have aerial perspectives. You can see where the skid marks are and right. you can see where, where everything's laid. So you can get that aerial picture, bring it back down. So then you can go Part of there. your report. Right, right. So, um, so it makes total sense. Yeah. There is a guy. That's such an unbelievable angle, though. You didn't think about 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. You, they didn't have the technology, but now the technology's there. They're like, oh, yeah. Well, you did, but out. it was a helicopter. Right. And who's going to, oh, by the way, can you fly the helicopter over? We'll get a shot of this. No. Not yeah, gonna we don't happen. have enough money for the gas. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like, hold on, we pull out of my pocket. Right. Right. Did I charge it? <laughs> right. In, in Orange County, pretty much every beach city has drones. Really? Um, oh, Huntington. See, this is great because this is why I want people, to, if they listen to this, they say, like, there's an opportunity yeah. for a career you didn't think of. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, yeah. You just, there's so many. Um, but, yeah, Huntington Beach and Newport, um, in particular Huntington Beach, big early adopters of drones. Torrance PD, there was <laughs> funny watching a Torrance PD video they were showing at a workshop. They were following this guy. So this guy was running from the cops. And so they had the helicopter overhead. Um, either, I, I think it was like a news copter. Um, but the drone is following. Guy doesn't hear the drone because the helicopter. Right. So the drone's flying over. The guy jumps in, goes over, and they're just following. The, and the, the drone operator is just telling them where they're going. And then he dives underneath like this covering, this tarp. The cop kicks it to thermal and says, oh, yeah, here he is. <laughs> So, and they told him where he is and they just came in and got him, you know? And so, you know, before you had the helicopter, but now they'll, they'll be able to put up drones. Right. Um, and do a, in a less expensive way, in a more accessible way, and probably in a, you know, you, again, who kicks over to thermal? If you, you, hopefully your helicopter has thermal imaging. Right. But these drones have dual cameras, so you can just kick over from RGB to, to thermal. And there it is. I, so someone like Huntington Beach or Torrance, what yeah. kind of drone are they flying? Most of them are flying DJI. Okay, but <laughs> so, no, but like a Phantom or a Maverick uh, or something you could just they'll they'll do they'll do Mavics. They'll have uh, the biggest thing that most um, something most, you can keep in your police cruiser, mo- pull out of a case. Right, but most of them that what they do like is the what the Matrice series, the Matrice two ten. Okay. Um, which is like a heavier duty drone, and usually you can have the dual cameras on it. But now the smaller drones, like the Mavic 2s, can have uh, the dual cameras, have thermal and RGB. Um, they like the Mavics because they're, they're quick and easy. They, I think some of them might have a couple Phantoms, but they aspire to get up to the, um, the Matrice level. Chula Vista PD um, is part of this more federal program, and San Diego is, is a test site for trying different things for easing regulations um i forgot the number but they they released the number of of arrests that they made based off of drones and it was just huge wow huge and in like when the last year and yeah so um so yeah like big in public safety so definitely is not going away and this is obviously just the tip of the iceberg to being really the ability to, to actually make a career or there's a an advantage cops fire public safety yeah public safety is huge um like i said cops use it to test hot spots they'll, they'll look at like the la Habra heights they'll look at uh, vegetation growth to see where you know where it's going to be a bunch of brush fire fuel right um they'll do stuff like that um is it big for 
like avalanche recovery, something like that, where you're doing like alpine and you're like trying to find somebody with thermal. It seems like if you look out in a vast likeness, yeah. we could find somebody. Search and rescue. Is, right. Search and rescue is huge. They're, we're actually talking to, or I'm talking to a Japanese company that has a headquarters here in Tustin that was headquartered in there, but in Japan, but they're trying to get in the U.S. market and they're doing a lot of drones. They do a lot of real-time broadcasting from drones. Okay. So you can stream it on multiple tablets or centers and you can look at it as cloud-based and they can go out and they were do, they were all prepared to do the Olympics. They were all, <laughs> ready. yeah, they were all set to do the, they, they were all contracted to do the Olympics and coverage for that um, in real time footage. And they showed me this one about Japanese search and rescue up in the mountains and stuff. And I, you know, I couldn't understand, but, um, they were explaining to me what was going on and how they did this video footage and how this training, how they found the, found the skier and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, public safety, but we run into things that we don't even, you don't even think of again, the whole mapping and imaging We're I'm going to, our program is going to be collaborating with the Orange County water district. Right. And, um, doing some really cool stuff as far as, um, looking at their basins and photographing those, but also looking at vegetation growth, like at Prado dam, um, and doing some, um, doing some like, again, depth mapping and veg vegetation analysis. Like I didn't even think about that. So, um, and you're doing some stuff with long beach state with the shark lab. Right. So yeah, we were at an air show and that kind of, what that actually triggered that opened up a whole another spectrum to me basically um they came to us they saw us at an air show and um they said hey we've been looking for you I was like oh really <laughs> um and they said yeah we were the shark lab we talked for a long time and they're they do they're doing this two-year project um of mapping and analyzing the southern california coast and the coastline of where juvenile great white sharks it's a hotbed for juvenile great white sharks, and it has been for decades. Right. So you're always swimming with sharks out there um, in the summer. They said they want to capture all this footage and um, catalog it. So that way, they're also training LA County, Orange County state lifeguards on how to spot, how to identify sharks, and when shark season is, how close they usually get to humans, where humans usually go. So. They, they just, they have one guy, a grad student who's a drone pilot and he's got their drone. Um, but he's doing basically from Santa Barbara to Solano beach and for two years. And he's just like, uh, I need help. Right. Um, That's a lot of land. So, yeah. So we, we said, sure. And, um, so we, we've been starting to go out the, the COVID thing kind of put a pause on sure. a lot of things. But uh, we still go out and do some drone footage and just randomly kind of go around. And he'll he'll send messages like, hey, Ventura, you know, we got a couple pings up here and we know there's sharks up in Ventura. Come on up. And I'm like, I'm not going to Ventura. But I've been down to Carlsbad and we've been to San Clemente and right. that kind of stuff. So, But you can use them for marine marine biological research. There's a guy, sorry, that's there's a guy that's crazy. That's that has, um, has an Inspire 2, which is a ridiculously expensive drone, which is a great drone. And he's got little petri dishes attached to him, and he'll fly and he'll fly over whales as whales are breaching, and they spray, and he catches the 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 sure. mucus, the snot, the whale snot, basically, on the drone, 
so then he can analyze it, you know, because it catches wow. in a petri dish. So he just flies that drone off of a boat and just flies and, and hovers, you know, covers over whales and then they breach and spray and he catches that spray and comes back and uses that for research. And it's like, I didn't think about using that for that kind of marine research. Jesus. And then um, and we have our, our PE department at Fullerton College, our athletic director um, came to me and said, hey, Jay, we went in on the drones. <laughs> what? What do you mean? Was that Scott? Scott. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, yeah, we went in on your drone program. I'm like, why? <laughs> he's like, we want to add it to our coaching certificate. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Coaches need to learn how to fly drones because coaches are using for drones. Right. And um, a lot of high schools are doing that. And technically, they're doing it in violation, right? Because they think, hey, I got this at Best Buy, and I'm just going to do this and check out the photos that I got. Right. Right. And we can teach them how to do it legally and how to do it more effectively. Safely. Right. And uh, safer and smarter. And so that way, if they ever run into a problem, they're covered. They know what's going on right. instead of just like, Yahoo, I got this. And, you know, my, my wife bought me this. Um, and there's a lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of that. So part of, our, part of my goal is to just make smarter and safer pilots. But, um, but yeah, but then I thought, damn, PE. Pretty much there's almost every area on, in, our, in our campus and our divisions on campus and different programs can connect to drones. Oh, and you could touch them all. Yeah, except English. Right. right, math, English, but bio, <laughs> any science you're right. going to touch? Oh, yeah. Ge ge um, geology? Yeah, geology, oh, ge geography. We're, I just emailed this morning about our, with our geography program, we're doing some GIS with some geospatial mapping and stuff. I saw someone flying a drone over a high school marching band. Mm. They, but they, I think it was part of the band, so they because they were doing some the Ohio yeah. State cool yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone was trying to see like. Yeah, the tuba guys aren't in the right spot. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just thinking, yeah, that's that's where you're doing. Like it's so crazy how where you're touching things now. Yeah, yeah, and they just keep, like I said, the Shark Lab made me realize again these things that pop up. The Shark Lab and the PE program when they came to me, they, it just reminded me there's more to this than just a camera, right? Right, it's more than just cool photography. Um, and how to use that. And the, the biggest thing, the drone is just a tool. Right. Drone is just a tool. Um, what do you do with the information that that tool gives you? Right. So how, you learn how to use that tool, but now you also need to learn how to use the data and the information from it. So photographers need to know how to edit photos. You need to know how to edit video. You need to compose photos and compose videos. Mapping software. You need to figure out how to map and how to do some photogram photogrammatic kind of a things and make 3D images and point clouds and those kind of things like that. So, um, great thing is I get to learn all this stuff too. Right. So, I, how important is the license? I mean, that's the let's face it, that's the scary thing for people. Yeah. The test. Yeah. How important is getting the license for regular Joe? Not, yeah. Not someone in the career, but regular Joe. Yeah, so here's the thing. So right now, um, the FAA classifies people as either hobbyists or commercial pilots. Right. Right. Commercial pilots need the certification. If you're going to make money in any way, shape, or form, you need the license. Okay. And period. Period. You just need End it. End of the story. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to, if your friend is a real estate agent and they say, hey, you have a drone, can you come and do some videos of the lot? 
and I'll, I'll pay a hundred bucks. Technically now you're commercial. Okay. You should have a license. What if you've got a YouTube channel, you're a 14 year old kid. Yeah, no, I know. And you're flying your drone and you're getting monetized on YouTube commercial pilot. <sighs> Not at 14. Cause you have to be 16 to get a license. Okay. So there's the, there's <laughs> right. the, okay. So you could be a 14 flying around like a crazy bat out of hell. Yeah. Like they do. Oh yeah. 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 You're making money on YouTube. Cause there's kids at 14 yep. making more money than you and I. Oh them. yeah. There's that kid that opens test the toys out you know, <laughs> right parents exploited him at like six <laughs> so four or 14's fine but you're kind of in this gray area yeah and 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 the 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 social media youtube channel is is a is a gray area yeah um because there's real money there well the thing is yeah it depends on the, the level um but the the faa so here's the thing and i've been i've talked to the faa and i've got a symposiums and stuff with the faa and they so, and they, they basically admit this too, is, so they were caught off guard. And so they're basically trying, yeah, yeah they weren't ready for drones. Who was? Yeah, exactly. And, and the way that they flooded the market. So basically they're trying to close the barn doors after the horses have already left. Um, and now they're trying to corral them back. So, so they're doing the best they can, knowing that the stuff is out there, knowing the stuff is on Amazon, knowing the stuff is at Walmart in the toy section. It's at gas stations. You can yeah. pick them up. They're not. Granted, but those are the, you know. Right. And, but yeah. those are people flying. I know. But you're going to buy that thing and it's going to be gone in a day. Right. Um, and people are okay with that. That's the crazy part. Yeah, I know. So if you're going to do it, do get a better drone. But you get what you pay for. But um, really, you really do with drones. Yeah. But um, yeah, so. So there's commercial and hobbyists. Um, as it stands now, the FAA the FAA has been trying to figure out how do we how do we retroactively regulate these people that already have drones. Mm -hmm. um, and good luck. Yeah, exactly. So they ha they've been racking their brains on doing that. Um, they're coming out in the meantime. They're coming out with hobby. The, so. Commercial, got to get your certification. Got to get the test. The um, hobbyist, if you're just going to take cool travel photos with the family and stuff like that with a drone, technically you don't need a license. Okay. Um, I'm good for the weekend. Yeah. But what they're going to do is they're going to have a um, knowledge test, and they're going to roll that out. And okay. I I don't think there's any teeth to it. I is think that it's an like, online thing? I think so. And I think it's like a like a like a SpongeBob driving test. Like you just keep taking it, taking okay. it, taking it. Um, it doesn't really matter. Um, but they want you to just be. They don't want you to do stupid things. They right. want you to understand. You can only fly to 400 feet. You can't fly at night. You can't fly over people. They want no. You don't know, fly by the airport. Right. Those kind of things. That's yeah. the thing that was amazed me the very early on is everybody was like, "I'm going next to an airport." Oh yeah. God. That guy in Vegas. Yeah. That flew over the Airbus. And like, oh, cool. It was a granted. It was a cool shot. But as soon as as soon as he posted on YouTube, you know, then it's like FBI, yeah. you know, kind of a thing. Hello. So because <laughs> um, you can't do that. Um, <laughs> and you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. Because the, the minute the minute a manned aircraft, it, 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 the minute a manned aircraft is legitimately because there's a lot of like, oh, I think we were hit by a drone. It's not really a drone. It's a it's a bird. And you were just a bad pilot. Right. But um the minute that a, a drone does something negatively to a manned aircraft and somebody gets injured, whether it's a Cessna or a 747, um, it's over. Right? right. Then the FAA is going to be like, that's it. You know, we can't, you know, we can't you, trust you, you forced anymore. our hand now. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we were cool with you guys before, but now you got to get rid of these idiots. Um, We've been, I guess I say yeah. we in the 
drone community. Yeah. The drone community has been fortunate yeah. that there yeah. hasn't been a major, God forbid, disaster right. drone related. Right. Nobody's taken out uh, an airplane or anything. A helicopter allegedly was hit last year. They still don't know. They still don't but know. But nobody's taken out. But there has been extremely stupid close calls. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and the, and, and I've seen some of them. I was up flying with uh, Anaheim PD, yeah. and someone started flying a drone at us thinking it was funny. Yeah. You know, Dietrich's taking this you know, high bank, getting us out of there, and then they're calling on them. Right. And that the thing is, too, so another thing that the FAA has found, and we in the drone industry have found, is that you, especially when you go th- take the test when you study and take the test and you pass it then you become like this champion slash advocate for the industry so then you got to go right. out there and your job is to hey you, you know i don't know if you're going to be a karen and, and narc on people that like hey you can't do that but right. the idea is like hey do you you know i'll do that too hey do you got a license you know you know you're not supposed to fly that high you know kind of a thing you're not supposed to do that um you know, so just make people aware and educate them. Sure. Um, because, and most, most people, I, you know, there are assholes out there, but most people are, um, you know, they don't know what they don't know. Right. And then you they're tell not them. Con- they're not doing They're not a- trying to right. be a jerk. I just didn't realize I shouldn't be flying over the freeway. Right. Oh, there's a law. There's laws against that. Yeah. You can't fly over cars. You know? Right. And as, and they learn then they won't do it again. So it's the way that they're trying to get us out there and to do that. So, um, there is a big push now for drone education and through college. There's, the FAA actually did, has this big project now that they're launching with community colleges and the drone programs that are already at community colleges to try to push forth that. Um, and I speak at a lot of high schools and right. that kind of stuff. Because I, I want them to know. What's Okay, so give me your top five no-nos. Well, I'll give you the main the main ones that, that there's that the I'm big, sure people don't know. Yeah, no, the big, the big four – are um, you can't you can't fly over 400 feet? Okay. Now, can a drone do that? You have to hit a button, or will it stop? Because I know, like my drone says, some do. Well, DJI. Here's the thing with DJI drones. So DJI drones, <laughs> DJI has been doing everything it can to make the U.S. government happy. Right. <laughs> to and say, it should because they're the big player. Right. And to say like, no, no, here, this is what we're doing. So the FAA has these regulations and. The, the the DJI says, hey, we'll put in geofencing. So based on GPS navigation, we will limit where you know we can indicate where there's no fly zones, and we won't we won't let them fly, or we'll they'll have to check off a couple things and they'll have to log in and notify and, them, right? Okay. And and we will limit the 400 level kind of a thing. Um, cool, but that's just DJI. Nobody else has geofencing. So those those drones at the at the liquor store, at the right. gas stations and stuff like that. They don't have ge- geo what? Yeah. Um, so so those drones go anywhere. But so by law, you can't go above 500, 400 feet because okay. manned aircraft cannot fly below 500 feet. So there's a buffer. Right. So they give that they give that little cushion. Um, helicopters are a whole different deal. Right. right. Helicopters have their own rules, but you should pay attention to helicopters. Um, They're not sneaking up on you. Right, exactly. Assess that depending on how the wind blows. Like I've been at Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. And that's the flight path. They could sneak up on you depending on yeah. the wind and where things blowing. Right. A helicopter, not so and, much. And also helicopters are more maneuverable like drones. A Cessna, not so much. Right. 
He's so, got a path. Right. So he can't quite get away from the drone if the drone is going to do something stupid. Right. A helicopter could just either bank or move or, or just fly above the drone and hit him with a prop wash and just, just down the drone, right. slam the drone to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the other thing, too, is that a helicopter will take out your drone if it needs to. Um, but you, have, um, you can't fly over 400 feet. You can't fly at night, um, which I Fourth of July, I look out, you know, in the backyard, oh, God, whatever, and yeah. you see, you see, I see the little lights going around, and it's like, man. So what do they say? Sunrise, sunset. Yeah, there's civil twilight and civil sunset, which is just right at those edges. Okay. Um, you cannot fly over people. The only people you can fly over are the people that are part of your crew. Okay, so what do they count as people? A body of one or ten, or they're they're I somewhat can, vague, right? Because if you're at the beach and right. it's early morning and there's one person walking the dog, what's the square footage? That you're like, and, yeah. And you can okay. So here's the thing: you can fly over people. Okay. You just can't park over people. Okay. Right. So you in in route to some place, you can fly over. So if you're on the okay. beach and you just fly over and you're just moving, that's fine. But if there's a crowd of people, like there's a protest or something like that, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna like, there is the um, L.A had that viral video in the Hollywood protest where the drones right. flying shows like 5,000 people in Hollywood uh -huh. Boulevard. I knew that was immediately illegal. I'm I'm looking at it going, I hope that guy has a waiver. I doubt he has a waiver. Oh, you know and he, he, didn't. he didn't. You yeah. know he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so, everybody picked it up and played it and thought it was shared great. it like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Look at, look, at, look at the civil. And it's like, yeah, but that guy's illegal. Right. It was funny. He's that, breaking the law. Like I saw every newscast yep. showing that. Yep. And I thought like, yep. you're showing an illegal act, if that was something else and it wasn't really cool to see, you right. wouldn't have shown it. But right. that puts so many people. Well, you're encouraging you're encouraging this to happen because oh, somebody says, oh, that's cool. I want to do that too. The next one. I'm next protest. Next. Now you're going to have eight drones out there. Right. And then the minute one drops and hits somebody, right. you're screwed. Yes. So um, so no, no over 400. No at night, no flying over people, and then you have to keep it within your visual line of sight. You can't okay. go beyond visual over a line hill of sight. and right. watch the monitor. Right. I was when I first started getting into this. I was talking. At a, I was at a conference. I wasn't talking at a conference, but I was at a conference. I heard these guys talking, and they said this guy was talking about how, and it was Southern California. It was like a Torrance to Redondo kind of a thing. It was like, yeah, I was flying around Redondo, but I was in Torrance. I was at my house in Torrance and stuff, and I was like. I'm Holy hyperventilating, God. you know, kind of thinking. I'm like, how oh, you can't see it, you can't see it. What are you? Doing? And, but you know, he's just relying on the camera. I can see the camera. Yeah, but you don't know when you're going to hit a, a a power pole, right? You know, or a wire. Even even we were Will and I were out in the desert flying. Even a, a drone at 400 feet high above you. Yeah, it's small. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a speck. It's right. a sparrow. Yeah. So if you put it out a quarter of a mile away now yeah. at 300 feet. Good luck. And you're just relying on the camera, which is one perspective. You're just only forward. Right. You're dumb. Good luck. So I, I you know, so yeah, so you got to keep it in visual line of sight. Those, those are the main four. And, but all those four, the FAA will grant waivers for those four. So there, you can get authorization to fly at night. You can get authorization to fly over people. You can get authorization to fly beyond visual line of sight. But you, the above 400 feet is, is hard to get. Um, I bet. But the, the trick with that, though, is you're 400 feet. But if you were 
say you're at the um, what is it, the Citibank or U- U.S. Bank Tower in Los oh, Angeles? Right. You can go 400 feet above that. So if you're standing on top of the building, you go 400. You can feet go. High. Your drone can go 400 feet above that. Because I've seen lots of those photos posted yeah. on Instagram, right. and I'm thinking, okay, that's totally who, fine. Who's doing that? Because right. that's an illegal. No, that's totally fine. You can go 400, <laughs> 400 feet above the ground or 400 feet above a structure, like thing. Because again, aircraft have that 500 foot. Right. So. So their um, 500 feet is above that highest. Point. Their 500 feet is above that tower. Right. So, so that's why there's that cushion. So oh, that, that's God, a thing. That's so you can go over. Cushion. Oh, I, I, again, I get nervous, but, um, because that means if it's falling, what's that building over a thousand feet, that's a 1500 feet of that. Just heavy. Just, I don't care that it's plastic. Just picking up speed. It's yeah. It <laughs> will be a bowling ball when it hits something. Exactly. So, so what happens is with those, to get those waivers, you have to justify what you're doing. You have to stipulate you know what you're doing. You have to stipulate that you have the equipment. Like, for example, um, the flights over people. It's getting a little bit easier, but the flights over people. CNN was the first one of the first entities to have a authorization to fly over people. And what happened is they had to build their own drone. So they, they built this drone with a little camera, and they built it to where it'll break. If it lands, if it, it just falls apart. So the kinetic energy, like if it hits you on the shoulder, it's going to be like, ow. It's not going to break your shoulder, but it's going to hit your shoulder and then just break apart. Do you know who built it? I don't know. They probably contracted somebody to do right. that. But, um, but stuff like that, or, or the big thing now, um, drones have to have parachutes. They have ballistic parachutes now. Really? Um, there, there's a company here in Anaheim that actually— Is that on size? Like you're flying yeah, depending the Depending on the, on, the, on the drone itself. Because um, some of drones. them are, are massive. As you know. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. And it also, <laughs> the other thing, too, is uh, the argument with for and against parachutes. Like, if you have a parachute, then you're more likely to be approved to have that waiver. Okay. Um, doesn't mean you're going to guarantee it, but you're, you're going along the right path. But you know, I, I tell students all the time is that, you know, most of the stuff that you do, you're going to be about 200 feet. You're not going to be at 400 feet right. or whatever because you're going to see the curvature of the earth, which is cool. You go up there one time. But if you're going to take photos and videos, you're going to be in the 200-foot, maybe 180 range kind right. of a thing. Um, if you have a malfunction and that drone drops, is there going to be enough time for that chute to deploy to slow it down? Um, the, dr- the, 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 the parachute manufacturers argue yes, and they've demonstrated yes. Um, have you seen demos I've live? Seen, I've seen, and they just... They pop up. There's actually one company, and I talked to the guys about it too. But it's funny where the drone, so the like a phantom, right? So the right. the the parachute is on top, right on top, so it doesn't mess up the center of gravity. So it's on top, and if you fly the phantom, they, I think they fix this now. But they, you fly the phantom in sport mode, which means you just c- can go as fast as you can. All right. out. So when that happens, if you're flying it fast forward, what happens is the drone goes fast, so it noses down a little bit, so it's going to fly faster. Sure. What happens is the parachute, the gyroscope in the parachute, sees that it's leaning, so it registers it as falling. 
So it deploys the chute. So now you're just <laughs> flying in sport mode, and then the chute pack pops up, and then, you know. So um, I think they fixed that because they, they said that that was an error, and I'm sure. Because they're, they're a big company, so they fixed it, right. I'm sure. Because in sport mode, those things reach close to 30 miles an hour, yeah, right? Yeah, can get going. Yeah, yeah. So And it, and it tilts. Like I said, the, gy right. the gyroscope within there, cause, because it's got to pick up. The drone's falling, so, and I'm only at 150, 180 feet or whatever. I gotta shoot, put the shoot out quick. But if it, the, so the minute it, it it tilts, drone, you know, the, the shoot pops out. Right. So, um, so they're working on a thing. I think they, I think what they did is they got a, a system in the shoot that notifies sport mode, and so then, it, <laughs> you know, then it it deactivates the the, the right. tilt, um, or increases the severity of the tilt. But yeah, so you can add, you can you can get authorizations from those, and the FAA is really the FAA actually is working to alleviate those. They want drone companies to they they want to work with drone companies. Sure, they know like um, it's not going away. Yeah, so you got to work together. And for example, being a, uh, uh, beyond visual line of sight, BVLOS is one that some larger companies are really working on because they don't want to have to have like. Uh, the rail company BNSF is a big one in this in this area. They want to do railroad inspections. They want to send drones out, and you're in the middle of like Iowa, and just, just all the way across off. Iowa, and you don't want to have to have a drone pilot follow a mile away every time he goes. You want to be able to go 50, 150, 200 miles out with a drone, right? You want to be able. What to, kind of batteries that drone? I know. Well, they got right? big, they got bigger ones. So 200 miles, but you can, it, you can inspect the rail yards. You don't want to have, right. to, have to have a drone pilot. Right. Watch. At that point, why is right. he flying the drone? Right. And the, and the FAA knows that. So the FAA is working on ways to open up the regulations to where it's like, okay, then you can have extended visual line of sight or beyond visual line of sight is what's what they're getting to. So they're allowing that same with like police departments. They want to be able to, fly a drone from the headquarters out to a location without actually having to be able to see it. Something you know? like that's parachute. Well, yeah. And there but right now you can't technically you can't, you can't even do, do it. it. Right. But the FAA, like I said, is working with these entities to try to figure out, okay, well, with these precautions, with these situations, then we'll let you do it. And if we let you do it, if anybody else follows suit with this, then they and they can justify it. And they can do it too. So they're starting to ease the regulations. They're okay. not. It's not. It's not like this is it, and this is the only way. The 400 one is 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 kind of a deal breaker, but the other ones are pretty. Um, yeah, that's a pretty big flexible. one. 400 feet. Now you're flirting with other aircraft. That's that's touchy. Yeah. It's yeah. one thing if you, your plane, your drone falls in the desert and you don't have a parachute and it shatters everywhere and you're out of grand. Right. It's another one if you hit. 737 right and that's or, or come close or that, just change the flight path of anything right and and aircraft too so we do a lot of flying at, in fullerton right and, and uh, we have an airport and there's fullerton airport and i have a good fairly decent relationship with the airport manager and the the tower the tower because the tower is federal right the faa runs the towers so they're separate entities so um, they're the ones that grant you the permission. So I always right. call, have to call the tower to get authorization to fly. Just let them know we're flying. No big deal. And like flying where? You're at the school? Like at the school or wherever okay. from Fullerton. But we're in the, in the approach path, the final for, right. for some of the aircraft that comes in. It's not a busy airport. But what will happen it's is. enough, right? And, and I've talked to pilots that will come in and they said when they see drones, they're immediately calling the tower. Hey, there's drone activity. You know, this is going on. Because they don't know who is doing right. what. 
And you so, don't have to be part of the class. Right. You could be a kid up the hill. Right. It could be just somebody, not not a Fullerton College, but they're flying in, somebody over at Troy High School or whatever, just like, hey, oh, right. look, there's a plane. I'm going to go over the plane. So they don't know what's going on. And so um, oh, so they'll immediately call if they see that. Because, again, they're not maneuverable. They're on approach. They're coming in. Right. And they don't they, they don't want some squirrely drone pilot to mess them up. So they tell the tower, hey, this is going on. So what what the tower likes to do is say, you know, they let the pilots know, hey, heads up, there's drone activity at Fullerton College at this location. Mm -hmm. So that way they know. They, so everything's transparent. They know when we're going to be there. They know, you know, they know we're doing it. You know, I'll tell them we're only going to be about 250 feet. So, um, so it's all good. Um, so that way it let, gives the pilots a little bit more ease. But, yeah, they, they said they don't like seeing drones. They get scared. Let's talk about the gorilla in the room, DJI. Yeah. Yeah. How did it become the 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 leading force? Obviously it's Chinese back, so you got this touchy subject of, you know, some people won't use it and some people are saying what how did they become the the leader? Um they were I they were just first out of the gate and then they consumer wise. Consumer wise. Yeah, they just Saw an Made opportunity it cheaper, and low faster, enough, but better, but easy. better, better quality. Yeah, and more simplistic. You know that you can hook it up to your phone, so stuff that you already had, and um, and then they were they were first, and then other ones started developing it, and then they also you know took some other people's ideas and incorporated it into theirs, and um, yeah, in those early days there was a lot of stealing. Yeah, and and what's what's interesting is so, you know the. DJI gets a lot of the attention, and they own the largest market share for drones. Do you know what the share is? It varies. I think at one time it was in the 70s, wow, 70% of Jesus. it. But I think I think now they're down in the 60s. Oh, um, it's still, I know. Yeah, still. They still got. They, they still own most of the market share, but they're 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 dropping. Um, and uh, I saw that at CES. You yeah. could tell. Other people are coming. Right, and the other. Big large manufacturers were also Chinese too. So Unique is another manufacturer that that's fairly formidable, and they I think they're guilty by association sometimes because every the the government focuses their attention on DJI, but then they say all Chinese. So you, the Unique guys are like oh, okay, and their head <laughs> their U.S. headquarters used to be in Corona, but they moved to Rancho. So they're they're Southern California based. Rancho Cucamonga. Rancho Cucamonga. I wow, who bigger, cheaper. Okay, sure. So um, they got a bigger facility out there, but um, Unique does a lot more industrial stuff. They do, they don't have quadcopters, but they have hexacopters. Okay, and um, they work a lot with Intel. Um, they have an Intel IntelliSense system in there for. It's, it's actually a cool aircraft, um, and uh, and then there's also Autel. Um, which brought out just released the Evo Two now, which is a big game changer. Why? Uh, and they also oh because it eight K, um, okay, forty minute battery life. That's big. See, eight K sounds great. Where am I going to show it? Right, battery life. Oh yeah, you're up there for forty minutes. Right, it's got a lot better sensors. It's a lot smoother platform. It has inter it, it and it's shaped like a Mavic. It folds up like a Mavic, okay. and it it interchange you I, you can interchange the cameras. Um, because if I showed you two K, four K, eight K, I don't know if the average person notices that. Well, but if I tell you, if you're watching on a 1080p, nobody notices. Right, it. exactly. <laughs> Right, it's the thing with YouTube, but but if I tell you it's got 18 minutes, 28 minutes, and 40, yeah, 
uh, I'm, I'm right. taking 40. Right, exactly. That means I carry three batteries, and I, I've got a long shoot instead right. of carrying right. 100. Right, I have a lot more flexibility. I have a lot more time in the air. Yeah, and it's um, an interesting thing. Autel just actually won a court uh, patent infringement case against DJI. <laughs> so because Autel actually has the patent on the folding that the Mavics have, um, that DJI was first like, ha ha, first! But Autel was just refining their program. Okay. And so now Evo folds like what it is, but then they filed the, the infringement and the court said, uh, yeah, Autel has the rights. So um, either DJI stops selling Mavics or they pay. You, you just pay a boatload of money to Autel every time you sell Mavics. And that's kind of, they just made up that agreement. So right. Autel is sitting in a pretty good position. Good. They, they didn't want to cancel it. They just wanted to, you know, now they got money so they can develop more. Right. I mean, um, and I think that's what's needed right now to see it move forward mm -hmm. is more competition. Yeah. You know, don't let don't let the big gorilla just keep shoveling this down your throat. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let like when I was at CES, I saw some that were uh, that were water. They were going into the water. They were yeah. diving in out of the water. I mean, yeah, that might sound silly, but you're pushing the envelope. And yeah. I think that's what needs to be done. Yeah. That, and that's really what's what's kind of happening. Those are the three big ones. Parrot actually was a big player, but they've kind of eased back a little bit. Parrot's a French company, right? And of they, course, it is the name <laughs> Parrot. <laughs> and they um, they still have. They were really good for a while, but now they've kind of. I don't think they're blending a lot. It's a tough game. Yeah, there was a couple U.S. manufacturers. 3DR was um, involved. They came in early. Um, but they just knew they couldn't catch anybody. Um, and so what they do is they, they allow their stuff to be open source and they're working on the, the programming development side. Um, another U.S. company came up called Skydio, which is actually a really cool drone, but they just don't have the manufacturing capability that the Chinese can. They're hand-making these drones. Oh, God. So, um, so yeah, American-made, but they're just not... They're not able to keep up with the, the, the way the market's flooded. So that's still good. Um, there's some there's some other European ones. There's a there's a Swiss or Belgian. There's a Dutch company that does some really cool stuff. Their props are downward facing, uh, so they can go in inclement weather. Um, cool. There's a lot of stuff that's out there that um, that it just is. There was a there was a company I was talking to these guys at, and um, they're in Australia. And they're a cinema company. And they were tasked to uh, do shooting for one of the Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know which one. But they wanted to put a you know long lens on a camera. And at this time, it's like a red camera right. or something like that. So it, you know you got a really expensive camera from a... Um, yeah, we're talking hundreds of thousands right, of dollars. From a drone. And you're gonna put, now you're going to put more glass on it. And you're going to fly around the ship and you want to be able to position it off the ship to get that angle um they didn't have there was no airframes that could carry that weight so they built their own drone right we'll um, build a frame we'll build the right. motors bigger blades right because if if you because you don't want to lose that disney contract right so um so you they and if you prove that you can do it more people will come to you, and now it becomes right. And that's what happened. Now they're now they're a drone manufacturer. You know, they they made this drone, and now other film companies are like, oh, we want that. Right. You know, they're still a film company, but now they also make this this drone. And um, there's a copycat to that. 
Yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of shots they went, you know what, we could do this with a gimbal. And now they're like, we're going to do it with a drone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is there, there's and, – and most of these people are just creating their own – you know, they're 3D printing the parts and they're putting it together and then they're putting the motors in. They're, they're building their own airframes and putting it out there. And um, there's no real drone manufacturer, but they're just making these drones. So there's a lot of, of – people that are building drones just for you know either one-off use or you know perpetual uses or something right but um, because of the weight of the either the camera right. the weight of the lens right right those cine lenses can get real heavy if it's a wide angle a long lens right. those things are not like your regular dslr right right it's like a baby's leg they're huge right and you put that and now you're going to put that in a drone on the front side so then now the drone is going to tip over forward right yeah, yeah. you got to have a bigger drone and um yeah, and they even said they said this is not a position that they thought they were. They didn't think they no. were going to be manufacturing drones. Right. But now they're, you know, here's how you 3D print it. You know, kind of a thing. And um, so there's a there's still a lot of that development going on. Um, there's a lot of smaller, you know, like I said, DJI has the biggest consumer market, but on the enterprise commercial side, there's there's a lot more uh, disparity. There's a lot more. Um, a uh, lot more companies that are out there. Right, a lot of competition. Yeah, fighting there's for a lot more competition. But on the consumer side, at, at Best Buy, at Walmart, and that kind of stuff, oops, the good ones are all DJI, or you get the, the crap $50 ones. Right. Yeah. So, okay, so where do you see drone photography in five years or 10? Because 10 years ago, you'd have said, what? Yeah. Five years ago, you said, I don't know. Yeah. It's here. Yeah. Where is it in 10 years? Smaller drones. Um, better cameras, uh, flexible cameras. The biggest thing, and a lot of people were worried about, they were trying to figure out how to put zoom capabilities on drones. Right. Because that adds more glass. Um, but now the technology is advancing. And so you don't, you know, full frame cameras and you have the larger, cap you know, uh, cameras with, a, with greater ability um, well, in a smaller size. Right. And you put them on a smaller platform. And so... Will materials change? What they're using, the kind of a plastic and not a plastic. Now it's a something other material. That now it's lighter so you can have more glass. It could be. It could be carbon fiber, uh, more carbon fiber, which is lighter and more durable. But, um, uh, you know, that, that all depends on cost. Right. You know, the price of the material and how they're going to cost that. So I don't know if they're going to make that cost effective for the public now um, this might be a silly question but do solar panels come into play if you put a solar panel anywhere on a drone on its back or anything would it does that help in any way or not not as much as you would think um has anybody thought of it yeah i mean i don't think yeah, I'm the yeah, first they, one to think yeah. of it <laughs> yeah no get that patent real yeah, quick. hold on quick yeah <laughs> Write Draw, that sketch down. that out um no i i think um yeah, I haven't really seen, but along those lines, probably next level is Hydrocell. Okay. Um, and hi, the, there's a couple Korean companies that are making Hydrocell drones, and so um, which now have you know hour and a half kind right. of a thing. Th that's the big thing. Keeping right. it, keeping the flight of it longer. Yeah, it gives you more flexibility, sure. more ability to do things. But the problem is those the Hydrocells now because you're putting the fuel. Now it's bigger. So right. you have a bigger drone, um, which is great if you're doing film. But if you're doing a real estate 
property right. and you just want to fly around, you know, now you're putting a massive drone flying over neighborhoods and stuff they're you know not going to work out right too well. but i think that's okay with 30 minutes on a flight time yeah but if i'm the guy in iowa that's doing a railroad yeah yeah I, right right 30 minutes doesn't work for me because my flight time 15 minutes back and forth i could might not make it right but you give me 90 minutes i right. can i can go 80 miles out right and like i said those are you know i don't see those ones going more into consumer markets those are go to large companies and you know you know transportation companies right. farms stuff like that so they're looking for a different market and not the not the dji not competing with dji at walmart you know um but on the consumer side i think you'll have smaller drones you're already seeing smaller drones but the camera quality will improve in the smaller drones okay so um so it makes it easier so now it'll be a pocket-sized drone um the collapsible or not collapsible um, that you can just put up and still get like 4K video resolution. Right, God forbid. Yeah, one inch sensor. You know, but yeah, you'll ha you'll have better cameras at a smaller size. I think that's for the consumer size. I think that's what's going to be battery life. I don't think, uh, and now that they're inching it up to 40, um, I don't. It'll. I mean, I don't want to say it's never going to hit an hour. Right. But in a consumer, um, that really depends on the. The battery, right? Yeah, right. It depends ba on the battery everybody quality. says battery technology's kind of peaked, and yeah. you gotta that's got to get better for everything right. to change. Right, right. That's a that's a that's an energy situation. So that's not the the drone manufacturer. That's just right electricity and the battery battery manufacturers the the lithium iod stuff. But um, you know, I I think that's the making the camera smaller will happen. Making the battery life longer will happen, but the battery life's going to just be incrementally. Yeah. So. Okay. Your book. You just finished up yeah. your second second edition. Second edition. Is that a a textbook for students, or is it something maybe uh, if you're buying a drone for your kid, you should maybe buy a book. Little Jimmy sits down, or little Kimmy, and reads the book, and <laughs> you know it's their introduction to flying. It's it's kind of both, because um, I made it. So there's when, not crayons. You don't have to draw. No, no, no. Okay. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Draw your own, draw a picture of a drone, but, uh, that's what you do in college. Um, but no, uh, I, when I was researching, there wasn't, there's not a lot of textbooks out there as far as for drone piloting. Well, no, I mean, you're, you're a pioneer. Yeah. I don't know. You want to be Lewis or you want to be Clark? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, which one lived longer? But, um, <laughs> but I, I didn't, um, I didn't really see, Anything out there that you know, there were these guys that pop up, you know, you'll, you'll pop up on the website that'll be like, you know, we guarantee if you take our right. class, we're gonna, you know, pay we'll us, you. Yeah. Pay us $650. Really, 46 bucks a unit. Come on, <laughs> two unit class, you can take that for 90 bucks and you can learn how to fly. Um, so that's that's the thing is that those guys and those guys are whipping together stuff and pamphlets, and, and I, I started looking, I thought. Because the FAA, the FAA is great in regards to the fact that they all their information is public. They just here, here's all this information, here's all the charts, here's all this stuff, but all their information that they provide, they don't have a drone pilot thing. Well, actually, they, they have a test prep book okay. um, that I kind of use in my class too. But their their main book is the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge, called the PHAC, and it's this massive book, and it's made for 
any type of pilot. Like, oh, all, like all pilots have to use it, right? right? So if you're flying a Cessna or uh, um, you know Learjet, right, or Bell Ranger, whatever. Yeah, you have arena. to you have to know you have to look at that book. So with when it comes to drones, we use the information out of there too, but we only use like maybe a sixteenth of that book. <laughs> so. I was thinking, well, this is dumb to have the students get this, and I don't, and you know, there's there's a lot of they put a lot of information in there, which is great. But I, again, like I said, we're my mindset and my kind of my marching orders were to make drones for workforce development, to make it to uh, teach people how to use it in the work workforce. So I thought, well, I just got to scale this down. Here's here's what you need to know to mm -hmm. do this, right? There's some extra stuff, and you can have these resources, and here's where you go to the FAA to get this extra stuff if you want it. But this is basically, to be a smarter and safer pilot, this is what you need to know. And so you know, so if you're going to be, I mean, the way I kind of made the book, or hope, hopefully made the book, is to um, make it so I could use it for the class right. <laughs> and teach my way. Right. But also for if anybody did pick it up, they, it would help them. It's okay. not going to guarantee that they're going to do it, but if going back to that 14-year-old that's on YouTube, if if he were to pick that up, um, then he's looking through it. It'll help him be a smarter and safer person so he's not going to do stupid things. That's, that's, that's the, what you want. That's the idea, right. Can you pick the book up Amazon? Um, I think. Okay. Because <laughs> so, um, I saw the first editions there. Yeah. Don't, then the second edition. The second edition is almost out there. They're just finishing up. Um, it's been a long time. But they're, they're working on composition right now. Okay. We had to get some permissions because they added some more stuff to it. Sure. And we had to get some more legal permissions. And once they checked all that off, um, it, the idea is the second edition will be out, I think, by August. Okay. So, um, and the second edition, go with the second edition more than the first edition. First edition, I didn't know what I was doing. What information <laughs> about the drone program can you tell us? Like where to sign up? Do you have to be, obviously you have to register at Fullerton College to be a student? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the great thing about community college is that it's not a university and that if you have a heartbeat, you can register for a class. Right. Um, we can even take 14 year olds. I had a, I had, I had a mom email me. I kid you not. I had a mom email me this summer because we have a summer drone class. Okay. And she's got a 10 and a 13 year old. And she went, and I get it being a That's parent. That's a great mom though. That's smart. Yeah. And she just wants to get them. They like drones and she wants to get them knowledgeable about what's going on and get them involved and get them busy over the summer. And I get that. So, but she was like, do you think it's going to be too much? And I said, the summer class will, will be too much because we're going to get in because I add more to that class. It's the applied class. So we do Photoshop, Premiere Pro, and Pix4D mapping. So it's a lot for a 10-year-old to grasp. It's not just piloting. Um, but I said, you know, in the fall, we'll have a Saturday class. It's eight weeks. That'll be just straight piloting. And they'll leave that a lot smarter and safer. It'll prep them for the test if they want to take it when they turn 16. But if not, they're going to fall in line with legal stuff and they're not going to get in trouble. Um, so she's like, okay, I'll sign up for that. So, okay, cool. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, that, and I get retirees that are looking just for a side gig or something to do. Uh, so it's a mix, but that's why, that's, what's great about it is that you can come in and you just, you apply to the college, but you're going to, you're going to get in. You just have right. to get in the, in the system. You apply for the college and then, um, then they give you a registration number, and then you register for the class, and then you pay the fees. And our basic piloting class is 
two units. And like I said, it's like 45, 46 bucks a unit or something like that. Okay. So you're looking at like 92 bucks with fees. It's probably going to be like 100, 105 bucks um, for like an eight week class, eight Saturdays. That's great. And uh, and then you'll you'll leave and you'll be more knowledgeable about what's going on. A safer pilot. A smarter and safer pilot. Yep. That's all you want. That's really, like I said, I don't care what you use it for. Just don't do something stupid. Right. Because community is <laughs> small. You don't mm-hmm. want to screw it up. Right. <laughs> don't don't hurt anybody. Don't be dumb. Don't do anything illegal. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Jay, I can't thank you enough for being the first guest on the podcast. <laughs> the first one. Yes, the first one. We <laughs> talked about all kinds of great things. Yeah. No, thanks. no crying, but that was okay. Maybe next time. <laughs> next time. We'll definitely have you back. We'll talk more. Well, thank you. Anytime. Jay, you're the best. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Bye. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. Please hit the like button where you found us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We also have a website, justagoodconversation.com, where you can leave questions and comments.